and Space Jesus, welcome to the Halloween edition of Marvel vs. Marvel. Uh, It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life rewatches everything to do with Marvel on the big screen and the small screen and then quizzes a comedian who is not just a Marvel expert but was taught to read with Marvel comics. Hello and welcome to the spooky edition. Uh, in, in, in this episode, we are dealing with Marvel's one and only horror movie, the blood and guts filled man thing. Uh, my name is Rob Holden. I'm a comedian and writer. I'm also the Marvel expert part of the equation. And uh, joining me on this quest through the history of Marvel is the one and only... He's powered by ignorance. It's Mr. Will Preston. Spooky. Uh, in fact, a scary amount of ignorance, I might say, when it comes to Halloween. <laughs> to be feared and ignored. I'm loving our Halloween uh, theme song as well that you've knocked together. Well, good work, Will. Yep. There's a lot of time uh, spent on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like having a themed show. I would like us to be able to do more of this. There's not enough Marvel stuff. Then that's the cool thing about Man Thing. It's the only horror movie we don't we don't ever get to do this, you know. Mm. Um, so it's pretty cool to have to have that uh, part in the show coming up in this episode. A huge, huge announcement for all our fans about a live show. We've got the the, the full history of Man Thing. We've got the history of one of the most uh, important defenders of the Marvel Universe um, in this movie. Mm. We've got some uh, details of the powers, the the, the brutal nature, and the true hearts of the Man-Thing, and we delve into something deeply disturbing known as the Legion of Monsters in this very spooky (laughs) episode. (laughs) I'm not sure how long I can keep up with the spookiness. Um... It's it, you know what though it's a it's a pretty messed up movie right it's not it's not it doesn't feel like a Marvel film whatsoever it, it doesn't it's, uh, uh, it's wild man wild it's it's got a lot going on in it it's got a lot going yeah. on yeah and we're gonna get to all of it um, <laughs> I've got to all of it um, but we before we crack on with a major announcement Will yeah you're out and about and around on the uh, the comedy scene. I am. And we indeed. do always get people asking when they can come and see you live. So, have you got those dates for us? Where can we see your comedy stylings next? Okay, so next you can see me at uh, Nice and Spiky on Monday the twenty fifth, trying some new material at the Regent in Islington. I'll be uh, at just another comedy club at the Crown in St Albans on the tw- Wednesday twenty seventh. Uh, on Thursday the twenty eighth, I'll be at Comedy in the Buff. Actually, I, I think I was supposed to cancel that one. Forget. Wait. <laughs> is that one where you're, everyone does it naked? No, but I've heard bad things. The guy runs two different nights, one in Elton, one in Orpington, and apparently they're both bad. And I and I don't know. I've known if I've pulled out of this one. Anyway, it's comedy at the buff uh, at the buff in Orpington uh, on on Thursday, twenty eighth. But you I, might not be there. I don't know. I don't know if I'm pulling out yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and on a Friday, twenty ninth. Uh, I'll be at a comedy bin uh, at the T-Bird in Frimsbury Park and the week after uh, only one date I'll be emceeing Clean Slate Comedy Club uh, on Wednesday the 3rd of November uh, at Never Forever in uh, Kentish Town 
Where can we find all that information again, Will? On my website, will-preston.co.uk. And we can also follow you on Twitter, can't we? Probably. I mean, you know, I'm not bothered. <laughs> Will Preston, that's all you need to do is just type my name into Twitter and I come up fairly fast. <laughs> um, but there is uh, a bigger opportunity for you guys to see Will Preston live. And he won't be on his own. Please don't give my home um, address out on the podcast, mate. <laughs> We're all going to go round Christmas Day. No. <laughs> big announcement we teased last week. Are you ready for this, Will? I am always ready. I know you're pretty excited about this. Mm. Mm, that is, yeah, that oh, really I, 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 your I, excitement I, level. No, I, I'm excited, but I didn't want to interrupt your flow because I thought you were going to get into it, but apparently not. Apparently, I'm going to get into it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get into it. Okay. Um... We are doing our first ever live show, Marvel vs. Marvel, the live podcast. This is next year. We are going to be performing this Sunday, the 6th of February. We're going to be doing it in Leicester as part of the Leicester Comedy Festival at the incredible Attenborough Arts Centre, which has been so supportive um, of getting us on board yeah. and making this happen. Um, we're going to have loads more details um to come uh, every every episode we're going to be dropping more and more little uh, little things that was going to be part of the show um we it won't just be me and me and me and will because there are you know there are three voices you hear <laughs> in every episode of marvel versus marvel there's will there's me and there's the incredible performer that performs our theme song Dan Walsh, the best banjo player in the country and that's right Dan Walsh is coming live uh, to do our a live performance of our of our theme song and hopefully do all the live music and stuff. Um, Dan Walsh will be on stage with Will and myself. Um, it's going to be a real it's going to be a real live version of the show. Um, very very excited about this. I'm excited, but is Dan going to be hanging about and like doing little jingles every now and again or something? I'm very much hoping that he will be doing all the live jingles. If, yes, if, that, that, if, that, if he does, I'm not, I'll, gonna, I'll, not sure if it's in his contract, but that's what we very much want to happen. Yes. If he does hang around on stage and stuff, I will be asking his opinion every now and again or taking the piss. Oh, oh dear! <laughs> <laughs> Will's going to change the format of the show. Change, um, hey, how about you, third voice? <laughs> what do you think of this? We're, we're going to be taking a look at an episode of the amazing Disney Plus What If series. Um, we reckon that that kind of length is going to fit in perfectly for our our show, which is going to be kind of around hour 45, two hour mark, we are thinking. We've got a little intermission and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, Marvel versus Marvel, the live podcast. That is Sunday, the 6th of February. Uh, the Attenborough Arts Centre in Leicester. Apologies to everyone from uh, from outside the UK. Um, tickets will be available. Then I don't think they're available just yet, but mm. tickets will be available when they are available from AttenboroughArts.com. Attenborough is like the like the Nature Man's name. A double T E N B O R O U G H. Attenborough Arts. Dot com is where you can get tickets. Follow us on, on Twitter for all updates, announcements, and we'll have great links to where you can get things. We are there at Marvel Versus. This has been in the background for a little while now, hasn't it, Will? And It, and... it, it has. It was actually quite funny because it was really serendipitous, the chance. We never really thought about it. And then the, it was kind of offered to us. We're going to have the story in future episodes. Um, yeah. And we're hoping to get a key player uh, involved 
uh, and do a little chat with them about how it all comes together. Yeah. We've got we've got some marketing to do. We've got some interviews to do. A um, lot of lot of fun, cool stuff. But yeah, as it stands, this is your only chance to to see us live and see the show live. Um, it's going to be next year, the very start of February, during a really cool comedy festival. And Will Preston, you're doing a a, a double header, two days. Yeah, on the Saturday before. Uh, the fifth, the fifth, Saturday, 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 and what what venue are you going to be at in Leicester? Oh God, I have completely. I, is it the Globe I'm at? Just a second. You are at the Globe. Yes, I am, you are at the Globe. I, I am at the Globe. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's Saturday the fifth, uh, seven fifteen in the evening at the Globe in Leicester. Head to uh, Will Preston on Twitter for more details and links as they become available. Will's got a really awesome uh, poster um, for that for that for that show as well. And um, that was done I think by that's... the uh, the very talented Victor Petrushkan. So what an incredible weekend it's going to be for yeah. fans of this show. The Saturday night, you, you know, you can come and see the Will Preston uh, Can't Face Reality show. And then the, the next afternoon, it's going to be a 2 p.m. show. Um, we're, we're doing the, the live podcast from the Attenborough Art Centre. We are so excited about this. Next year is going to be an incredible year for this podcast. Join us now for, for a spooky ju- So the secret to any Halloween themed show Is just to take all your normal segments But then do that voice And make it a spooky journey Into the mind of a monstrous muggle but, but doing that voice It just makes me think of bits of The Simpsons Where they were, they were, they were just you know, homage Well any, any voice I do Will make you think of The Simpsons yeah. there's, there's nothing we can do with that You just are always You'll have one frame of reference for the universe Colonel Dracula joins the Navy <laughs> So uh, This is the part of the show Where uh, I have no frame of reference Outside of Marvel I can't see the real world that most people do. Um, I can't understand the world where people have never heard of the terrifying man thing. Yeah. So, Will, you're the mind that we need to peer into. When was the first time, have you ever heard, I mean, when was the first time you heard of man thing? When you keep it clean. The, the first time I ever heard of man thing was when you messaged me and said, uh, the next episode, we're going to do Man Thing. <laughs> you need to watch a film called Man Thing, but stay with You've me. Never, yeah, stay it, with it, me. It, it, it is a Marvel film, technically. It's not surprising because this is the first, the first outing outside of comic books that this character has ever, ever had. Yes. Yeah. Um, is there anyone that you get Man Thing mixed up with, or that you have heard of that is similar to Man Thing? Are you are you pushing me towards what we're all thinking right now? Yeah, yeah, Swamp Thing. See, I I I've known about Swamp Thing since I was a kid. Swamp That's interesting. Th- yeah, I, I don't know why. 
I don't know why. Well, he had a cartoon series. He did have a cartoon series. I remember the cartoon he has a, series. Um, Wes Craven movie. Yeah, Wes Craven with, uh, with Ray Weiss as the lead role. Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe because I, I haven't always, thought of that movie in a long time. I just remember him from Twin Peaks and RoboCop. Yeah, it was. He had, he had, a, he had a movie in the eighties, and then he had a cartoon series in the nineties yep. as a kids Saturday morning cartoon series. Um, so yeah, Swamp Thing, and Swamp Thing was a huge deal in the comic book world. So Swamp Thing under Alan Moore was mm. um, one of the comic books responsible for changing the way that mainstream um, press and, and mainstream literary critics reacted to, reported on, and viewed comic books. Um, the it was it was part of that 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 first wave. Oh well, probably not the first wave, but but that wave of um, British and Irish kind of um, edgy independent outsider writers getting into mainstream comics and and really changing what could be done. So Swamp Thing, along with things like Neil Gaiman's Sandman and Watchmen and The Dark Knight um, Returns, were were those comic books that found their way onto bookshelves mm. in a major way in the in the eighties and Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum for the for the first time and became this huge wave of did you know comic books are for adults now? <laughs> um and the the, the, the the term graphic novel started to be applied to them by broadsheet I'm not, newspapers. I'm not allowed to say that though, am I? I'm not allowed to say you know, graphic novel. Only if it's in a novel f- close story, is it, isn't it? I, I I was watching uh, Coronation Street a while ago, and I forgot to bring this up. Coronation on the Street. There's one of the characters who's a bit of an outsider. Yep. Dresses a bit like a goth, I guess. Yep. That's, was part that's... of a major major storyline where her boyfriend was kicked to death for looking different and being different. Oh. And on the stand, when she's giving evidence in Coronation Street, the prosecutor or someone uses the term graphic novel, and she flies off the handle and gives my rant. On ITV prime time, and oh, cool graphic novels. That's just what you lot call them because I don't want to feel embarrassed about reading comic book. And I was like punching the air, going, "Yeah, I was not expecting to have this energy for Coronation Street today, but yeah." You, you know, you know, someone on that writing team was definitely, definitely a geek. Listen to the show. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I didn't know you watched Coronation um, Street. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends on my availability because I do an awful lot of my work in the evenings. It's um, comfort viewing, isn't it? It's just nice, nice regular yeah, comfort I, viewing. I have always believed it is the the vast superior soap and has been for about fifteen, yes, twenty years yes. in terms of its writing and doing nice stuff, and it's still frustrating. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I enjoy it. It's something that I share with my my mom. My mom's a, a big a big a big fan. Well, not a big fan. She watches it. My mom So I can too. chat to my mom about it yeah. and things, and that's all Huge fun. Huge fan my mum is. So Swamp Thing you've heard of. <laughs> yes, Swamp Thing I've heard of. Um, and what did you think then when you kind of learned there's this other thing that is also a, a swamp-based thing? My, what came first, man thing or, or swamp thing? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll or, get or into swamp, that. Or swamp man, I don't know. I was, I, I, I think, like, I, I haven't had any desire for swamp thing. I've had, uh, I, you know, I might, I, I want to read, the, you know, the, the Alan Moore stuff because I'm a, I'm a Alan Moore fan. But you're allowed to as well. I'm allowed to. Th- thank you for letting me on day release, you prison it's, warden. It's, it's 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 Vertigo to begin with. Not even really DC Comics. I mean, it kind of is. Yeah. But yeah. 
It's, it's first appearance of John Constantine. John Con- Oh, um, yes. Um, but the thing is, it's like, I, I, I looked at it and went, I don't have an urge for an additional Swamp character. I don't have the urge. <laughs> and then, I, oh, Marvel did their own one called Man-Thing. And I'm like, I have zero urge to seek this out. Well, the answer to the question, what came first, is neither. And we've got oh, on that God. to come. Um, Will... Before we, 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 we go behind the, 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 the panel, behind the page, um, you're the man with the, the, the stats and the figures to make sense of the dollars and cents, although I don't think that's helpful in this one. Um, but uh, the, the spooky Halloween Hollywood, that, the spooky that, movie production notes. I wasn't making a spooky noise. I was awkwardly laughing. And then it, oh, the, 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 it the, the, spooky. The, the tone sort of went spooky. I don't know why. Your poor wife. My poor... Every time you laugh, it sounds like there's a ghost in the house. What can you tell us, Will, uh, about the kind of production side of this movie? Okay. <laughs> the budget of this film was $30 million. The box office, if you could say that, was $1.1 yeah. yeah, it's not really helpful, though, is it? Because it wasn't... It was never meant. To, I mean, it was it was never meant for. A it didn't have a, it didn't have a it didn't have a major release. So no, no. That we we don't see the rest of the money, which will have come from the sci-fi network and and DVD sales and stuff, which would have. But anyway, proceed. I'll proceed with what you have to tell us. I'll I'll go in chrono- chron- as chronological as possible. Uh, so we'll st- we'll start in two thousand. Uh, Marvel Entertainment entered into a joint venture agreement with Artisan Entertainment to turn at least 15 Marvel superhero franchises into live-action films, television series, direct-to-video films, and internet projects. Straight-to-DVD would have been... Direct-to-DVD is what we used to say back in the day, know, back when I, DVD I, was a thing. I think direct-to-video is an all-encompassing term that you can use for this sort it of... It is, yeah. yeah. You know what, 2000, there are still a lot of people... I didn't have a, a DVD player in the year 2000. What did I have in the still, year 2000? No, 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 because my first, the first DVD player we had was the PS2. If you wanted to watch DVDs, you'd have to stop playing Grand Theft Auto. It was a nightmare. <laughs> to be, I mean, shouldn't you really stop playing your video game to watch a movie anyway? Oh, no, I meant like we were sharing it with my brother and then my dad oh, would have it. Oh, and it's yeah. like, but I'm just about to kill people. In a game. <laughs> I don't want to Tough. watch F Star Wars Episode One again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't get a DVD player until I was I'd left uni, mm. and then I was uh, in a tiny little bedsit, <laughs> and I got a multi-regional DVD player then. Nice. So that would have been. Uh, okay, went in then, came out then, probably 2005, 2006. I remember, do you know what I remember from around then? I think it was 2004 or around then. You remember those uh, TVs with the built-in video player and then later the mm. DVD player? I bought one of them, yeah. it was brilliant. I, 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 I still love them. Yeah, they're fantastic. I, I think, I think they're, you, obviously they're pointless nowadays, but they were so good at the time. You just have a small 22-inch TV... And then, uh, you know, with a, with, a, with a video or a DVD player underneath, and that was it. You were sorted. Okay, you might... As someone that's terrible at getting rid of stuff, you can see on the shelves behind yeah. me, I have Angel and Buffy VHS box sets. Oh, um, no, no. And I've got a bunch of old uh, wrestling 
VHSs, which turned out to be prudent because um, that's another conversation for another day. Let's not go into this, Rob. Back to man thing. What I will what say before we go back oh, to it: yeah. get a get a converter, get all of those converted onto a hard drive, and sell them. Get rid, <clears> make the space. You can't sell VHS, mate. Charity shops won't take them. You can't. You have to. You, they have to go in the tip. Oh, anyway, I'm, I'm, man thing. I, that that's the scary thing. That's the spooky <laughs> thing. It's just VHS <laughs> is in a tip. It's like no. <clears throat> anyway, man thing. So these franchises that uh, we, we, that was agreed in in, in the venture, the joint venture was was of course uh, an adaptation of Man Thing. Not only that. <laughs> This was in 2000, wasn't it? The list of Marvel characters that are also involved in this deal. Now, prepare yourselves. Um, I want you to imagine, if you will, how these would have looked in 2000. As Yeah, the- so th- th- this is before... This is We've had Blade and we've had X-Men. Yeah. We haven't had Spider-Man. We haven't had... Sp- the MCU yeah. is a twinkle in Avi Arid's eye. Yeah. And he makes this deal. If this had gone fully ahead, there's no MCU. <laughs> I'm actually depressed looking at this list. Artisan Entertainment, yeah, which did Punisher that we looked at. They did do the Punisher, the first Punisher. A rather a, a relatively you know regular budget. They said low budget, low budget movie. This is a low budget movie. Yeah, uh, and so we would have had low budget movie versions of Captain America, Thor to be developed as a TV series, Black Panther, Deadpool. Iron Fist, Morbius, Longshot, Ant-Man, Power Pack, and last but definitely not least, Mort the Dead Teenager, which you've never heard of before, have you? Mort the Dead Teenager, I had to look up, because it, it, it was one of these things that got you know, a five-issue limited series yeah. during the terrible 90s, and I never, I, I mean, maybe I heard of it at the time, but it never stuck with me. Um, I'm imagining... A low-budget Thor TV series in the vein of the adventures of Hercules yeah, and Xena. That's exactly <laughs> what I came to mind. I was just imagining Thor played by that guy who played Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo, who's really gone off the rails recently. They, yeah, yeah. But I can. I imagined him playing Thor. That's exactly what I had in my head. That is exactly. Or it would what have been a bit like what was that? Um, Oh, Andromeda was another one. I think that he's in that as well. Oh. It just, uh, yeah, just a lot of those kind of low budget sci fi fantasy things. Yeah, yeah, that aren't particularly great. Although it would have been sold to the sci fi channel, so it probably actually would have been a, maybe a little bit of a higher budget rate. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it was variously, uh, so for Man Thing, it was uh, variously considered for a direct to video release or a theoretical release. And after the success of Brian Singer's X Men in 2000, M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable, again in 2000, and then later Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in 2002, the film was moved to a theatrical release to exploit on the success of superheroes. So the movie was later released uh, on Sci-Fi Original on the Sci-Fi Channel in 2005. The decision to go from theatre release to TV release happened after they held a screening in which half the audience walked out. Oh, gee. I mean, obviously they made changes from that point on, but so we, the, the thing we see is not that, but still. Do, do people have to pay to go to a test screening? No. Just imagine walking out of a free movie. <laughs> I mean, that's that. I mean, you must have a lot of time on your hands, or the, you know, anyway, I've never walked out of a film. Have you ever walked out of a film before? Yes. Dude, where's my car? 
Oh, I never. I know. I, I avoided that. Was it? Was it, it all? All? It was one of these things. Back when you're kind of like fifteen, sixteen, yeah. and you have one friend that has a car. We all packed the car and we all drove to the out of town cinema to watch a movie. And I was, I don't know what I wanted to watch, but I was out there because I said, I, this, I've seen the trailer. It does not look funny. Yeah. They all picked that to watch. And, you know, it, it, but it was, it was a bit of teenage snobbery on, on, on my behalf. It wasn't good and fun, but it was still, it was a bit of a look at me, I'm leaving kind of move. I was a bit of a dick, really. <laughs> I, went, I went and sat in the bar and, 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 and had several drinks. Um, but it was it was a dumb it wasn't it wasn't like a horribly offensive movie it was just dumb I I didn't I didn't enjoy it but I I was a bit too uh, snooty and a bit too uh, hey guys I'm not like you I laugh at funny stuff you know I really wish I walked out of Transformers 2 I was with friends and I and I actually I I, I, I lost it towards the end because it was just so awful so awful and yet, it's the next movie that has no Megan Fox in. I can understand that one, but okay. Um, I, I looks going to take more than Megan Fox to anyway. Oh God, I hated it. But yeah, half the audience walked out of the screening, which led to them going uh, for a TV release. Uh, also, director Brett Leonard's uh, only notable film before this was The Lawnmower Man and Virtuosity. Uh, I've never heard that's of that. That's a dude that loves virtual reality. Oh. Oh, is that, is that uh, what cyber sex about? scene. Yeah. I believe. I think virtuosity is a good movie. I, I have. I have a, a memory of virtuosity being a good movie. Um, I, anyway, but yeah. Lawnmower Man is a cyber sex movie. Um, that's the only thing it's ever remembered for. <laughs> yeah, uh, we were looking at this before. What was it? Thirty-five percent rated on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and they rightly said the. Great for their time special effects have aged terribly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Rotten Tomato can ever be trusted when it's people now giving a review to a movie from 10, 15 years ago. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. incredibly... That's just not a way of rating. It should only apply to modern movies, Okay, that, that makes because sense. Because yeah. like, that's just a... Like, in, in general, there are some movies that when you take them out of their time frame, you can't view it properly at all. You do, Same you, with albums. You've got to view know. it with the context. You've got to view it with the context I, I of the think, time, what was available. And the mentality of the time, mentality. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. there's too many people that go, uh, well, yeah, but language has been significantly changed since the 1940s. You know, it, it doesn't sound like anyone would really speak. I'll get lost. Yeah, no, you got a point there. He said later about the film, director Brett Lenny said later about the film, uh, basically superhero, but with a darker edge and with a supernatural edge. What is he talking about? I, I have seen this movie. What is he talking about? Where is the superhero in this movie? Exactly. And with a supernatural kind of super spiritual aspect to it, that would have been an interesting sort of modern take on that material. That's what I was reaching for. All of that got ripped out. It got oh. fully ripped out, so it became a straight-up oh, okay. monster movie where it was just where it was like, sorry, it's, I'm, I'm, it, this is ad verbatim, and he's speaking like he's on coke. Where it was like there was a ah. monster in the swamp. The sheriff goes in, tries to find it, oh, okay. and again, not much happens. Okay, so he's talking about what he wanted it what to be like. What he wanted, then, he right? Wants, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. That's what he wanted it to be. Sorry, I framed <laughs> that badly. Uh, also, it was filmed. No, he framed it badly. He framed it badly. Yeah. He was, yeah, he, he rambled in that. You know, when you read a quote from someone else and it's like, this is rambling. Uh, it was filmed in Australia. It has an entirely Australian cast as well. 
the the sheriff's accent slips all the time. Yeah, it is distracting. <laughs> um, how how often you go? Oh, he's Australian for five seconds, and then back to being American. Oh yeah. God. Uh, finally, producer Avi Arid even trashed the film. The one hiccup we had was the one project we didn't micromanage. We were not going to the outback. There was so much going on. We will never do that again. We should never have trusted anybody that far away without our supervision. Thankfully, it was a small movie and not a disaster. If we were there and on top of it, it would have been an amazing movie. I look at the horror genre and I think, I can't believe this. We've learned our lesson. Mad, yeah. absolutely mad. Mad. Does that come across to you? Uh, what? What in terms of? That it's completely out of control and well, it, a mess. It, it, it feels like a mess. I, I, you can't tell how if a film's out of control behind the scenes just from the film, but you can tell if it's a mess. I can absolutely mm. tell it's a mess. And I've seen Cool World. The Halloween Ooh. behind the page. Um, I'm, I think I'm sick of that now. I think I'm not going to do any more of the spooky voice. Um, so there's, there's there's some interesting um, backstory on on Man Thing and how he is conceived in the the, the 1970s and 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 comes forward. Um, it, 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 it there's there's kind of a I mean Stan Lee is kind of at the heart of this. Possibly, right? Mm. So, we've talked in the past about about, about Stanley when he's he's editor of Marvel Comics. His right hand man is is Roy Thomas, who would eventually replace Stan on writing pretty much everything that Stan was writing, and would eventually replace him as kind of the editor in chief as well. Yeah. Um, and S- Stanley had had come up with the name Man Thing, which he he'd previously used on another. Um, Marvel monster back in the in the in the sixties just had like a one off appearance, um, and Stan uh, very much had the idea, and it's the the, the core concept for Man Thing and for Swamp Thing is the idea of a man dying and losing sentience and becoming a monster. Okay, so Roy Thomas uh, said in an interview about this. Stanley called me into his office. It would have been late nineteen seventy or early seventy one. He had a couple of sentences or so for the concept of this new character. I think it was mainly the notion of a guy working on some experimental drug for the government, his being accosted by spies, getting fused with the shop, the, the swamp, swamp, he said, getting fused with the swamp, so he becomes this creature. Mm. Um, so Stanley, the driving force there, Roy Thomas comes up with the, the 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 actual plot the origin plot and then in comes jerry conway we've looked at jerry conway in the past he's an influential writer on things like spider-man mm. um and involved with the punisher as well um to, uh, roy thomas and jerry conway kind of came up with then this origin story with uh gray mara the artist um and then after they kind of did the initial story a second story, the second appearance of Man Thing, was written by Len Wein and drawn by Neil Adams. Okay. That was written and, and drawn and prepared to go as the sequel, the second adventure of Man Thing, but the comic it was originally published in, Savage Tales, got cancelled. Oh. So it took like a year or two for it to get to print. Right. It took it would next be a, you know be printed in nineteen seventy two. 
Len Wein, who writes the second story of Man-Thing, is the creator of Swamp Thing. So Man-Thing is introduced May 1971. Okay. They... Then commission Len Wein to write the second, the sequel, about the Man-Thing. Right. And then a month after... <laughs> in, a month after... Yeah, July 1971, Swamp Thing debuts, uh. written by Len Wein. Oh, well. So, yeah. Um, that feels like a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Roy Thomas again spoke... Of, oh, FYI, Jerry Conway and Len Wein yes. are roommates at the time. Ah, <laughs> living, okay. Like living in the same flat and working for rival companies, sort of. Oh, God. So, Roy Thomas interviewed about this particularly bizarre sequence of events and he said, Jerry and I thought that unconsciously or not, the origin in Swamp Thing number one was too similar to the origin of Man Thing a year and a half earlier. Mm. There was vague talk a year and a half earlier. What's he talking about there? I'm not sure what he's talking about there. There was vague talk at the time around Marvel of legal action, but it was never really pursued. I don't know if any letters ever changed hands between Marvel and DC, legal letters he means. We weren't happy with the situation over the Swamp Thing number one origin. We figured it an accident. Okay. Let, to just to just take you, what we've talked about is the origin of man of, of man thing. Yeah. He's a scientist working on a serum for the government, attacked by spies, and the serum fuses him with the swamp when he gets into a life or death disaster. Yeah. That's the exact origin of swamp thing. Yeah. And man thing. And man thing. I'm, There's I'm literally no it's difference. It's the exact. It, it does no different. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's not just a case of their swamp monsters with thing. Mm. It's the whole origin of a scientist preparing a serum, spies, takes the serum, fused with the thing. It's exactly the same. And Len Wein knew this <laughs> and lived lived with the guy that came with the one that was commissioned to write the second story. And he was playing both sides. Yeah, I don't know what he was doing. Um, Jerry was rooming with Len at the time. Roy Thomas says. Uh, and we tried to talk to him. He tried to talk him into changing the Swamp Thing origin, mm. but Len didn't see the similarities. Um, it goes a bit further than this, though, because you know no legal action was taken, which is really, really bizarre, really strange. Mm. But perhaps an explanation for this is that both Swamp Monsters really closely resemble another comic book Swamp Monster that made his first appearance in 1942. Hillman Periodicals, mm. the 1940s, had uh, a, a series called Air Fighter Comics. And in issue three, <laughs> we were introduced to The Heap. <laughs> so, uh, Baron Eric von Emmelmann, a World War I German flying ace, yeah. who was shot down in 1918 over a Polish swamp. Ooh. And he dies slowly, and through the decades, his body decayed. But his mind, his spirit, his consciousness, his will to live on was so strong, he <laughs> intermingled with the vegetation in the swamp around him, becoming one with the swamp marshland until it, you know, it eventually arose from the muck during the early years of World War II as this swamp monster known as the Heap. Swamp Mensch. <sighs> 
Boo. <laughs> very similar concepts. Yeah. Very similar looks. The Heap even has that weird tendril nose, just like Man-Thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, almost Cthulhu-esque. Uh, it, 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 well, yeah, although I'd have to, we'd have to then have an explanation of when the first depiction of Cthulhu was drawn to look like the one we know today, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know what, I don't, I think Man Thing certainly has Cthulhu inspiration and looks very much like that, especially the 70s, there was a big rise in some of horror literature again, Yeah, I don't think the Heap does, and I don't really think Swamp Thing does. Swamp Thing always remember had that nose, he always had the nose, like the, 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 the flat wide, the flat thing, yeah. wide nostrils, I remember that very well. So in the 1980s, um, when Alan Moore got his hands on Swamp Thing and, 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 and drastically changed the whole character, the whole backstory, mm. he, he, he actually made Swamp Thing a bit more like Man-Thing. Okay. Um, in that Swamp Thing has always been um, a scientist who's been, who, who this terrible accident happens to him and he dies... And he kind of comes back as is this veg, this this kind of swamp muck creature. Mm. But he he is very much who he was before. Yeah. And he's like, I am cursed to live this horrible life. My wife will no longer love me, and blow that kind of stuff. Mm. Alan Moore changed that very much, and he was no longer, you know, he abandoned all his humanity. Wow. Um, and the swamp thing, you know, was a brand new kind of life form. Um, and man thing is very much like has no humanity to him no he's a, he's a monster rough roughly mm. i'm talking about in the, in, in the comics oh, yeah sorry. he's he's very he's not he's not a, a character that has the mind of a man in the mm. body of a monster that was not what stanley envisioned for this whatsoever um the loss of sentience the loss of 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 agency almost yeah. um but during Alan Moore's swamp thing run Swamp Thing discovers that he is actually one in a long line of of living vegetation creatures all over the world and down throughout history, brought about by magic or, or accident when men are kind of fused with, you know, uh, plant life. And in this sequence, he sees images of all the other kind of swamp well, they call them they're, they're kind of plant gods or swamp like creatures across the world and down the ages. And one of the images drawn in that panel is Man Thing's distinctive face, uh-huh. which was a nice little nod yeah, and and, yeah. and, a, and a way of kind of crossing things over. So, um, once Swamp Thing is kind of Man Thing is reintroduced, we had this cancellation. He kind of comes back. He gets a a, a um, not a full comic. He gets. Um, he gets like half a comic. Half a comic. In an, a, a horror-themed anthology series called Adventure Into Fear. Mm. It would have ten pages of Man-Thing and then one or two backup stories or other horror-themed stories in the back. Uh-huh. It might be another ten-page story or it was probably a five-page and another five-page story. Um, and but, but, but Man-Thing kind of got, always got the front cover. Uh, and it was journey. It was adventure into fear with the man thing. Um, Steve Gerber, who you'll remember from our Howard the Duck episode, mm. um, who was the incredibly visionary writer behind Howard the Duck. Yeah, Steve Gerber would become Man Thing's signature writer very, very quickly. 
Um, and once he took over, the quality of writing uh, about on on Man Thing went up. The popularity increased. So they ditched the the idea of having two other, you know, short five page stories in the back, and they extended Man Thing because Steve Gerber's writing was so good and it was getting so popular. Great now, Man Thing. The whole comic is Man Thing. Um, from beginning to end, okay. um, instead of mate, having these shorter stories knocking mm. around, um, and Steve Gerber introduced all his. We talked in the How the Duck episode. He 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 did loads of satire, yeah, um, and he had lots of social commentary. Man Thing is the the quintessential Bronze Age character to me. What Bronze Age? Describe Bronze Age. If you remember from, we kind of touched on it in our Superman. Um, Episode we have the golden age, yeah. um, which generally goes up to the to the to the Second World War, mm. and then we have the silver age, which is where Marvel starts in the nineteen fifties and sixties on mm. through, um, and and then we have the bronze age, which is kind of end of the sixties, start of the seventies, and it's typified by two things really: um, the emergence of stories that have more sophistication and, and deal with. Some level of social commentary. Yeah. Um, so we have Harry Osborn in Spider-Man becoming a drug addict. Yes. Yeah. We have um, the Green Arrow sidekick, Speedy, becoming a drug addict. Mm. We have Green Lantern and Green Arrow going on this like um, Easy Rider tour around America to discover the true heart of America and finding that their powers and their crime fighting does nothing to touch poverty, racism, injustice in in, in certain ways. Um, Those kind of social issues. Mm. You can generally point to the death of Gwen Stacy as being like the end of the Silver Age where things are a bit more... um, idyllic, you know, the the kind of the, the, the wave of the the JFK the Kennedy royal yes. family and all of that is kind yeah. of really really worn off. Gwen Stacy's death is a hallmark of it. But the Bronze Age is also typified by the return of horror to comics. Oh yes. If you go back and listen to one of our earliest episodes, Blade, we have a, a whole sequence. You know, our archives are there for a reason, guys. We have we have a, a real explanation and dive into horror comics, mm. which were kind of almost outlawed and banned. Um, in in the fifties and sixties, did I mention my and, big book, big book of horror comics? Yeah, you did. Yeah, those were readily available from the works and stuff for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I need to um, read through that again. Some of it was absolutely brilliant. Some of it's just frightening as hell. Yeah, by the time we get to the late sixties, early seventies, the, the start of the Bronze Age, those kind of um, conditions and rules about horror comics, thanks to the popularity of of um, horror characters in the movies like mm. hammer hammer horror was quite a big you know proponent of this it, it, it quelled and and marvel and dc were able to use horror comics and horror themed characters again obviously you can't show an actual decapitation mm. someone being ripped apart or do anything that's too scary yeah but marvel can um, have a dracula comic yeah they can they can create blade we suddenly then if you think about what we get in the 70s we get um, Dracula, we get Blade, we get Ghost Rider, who's a demon, mm. we get the son of Satan getting his own comic, <laughs> um, and we get things like Man Thing. And Man Thing, for me, encapsulates both those elements of the Bronze Age because when Steve Gerber comes along, not only is it a horror comic, a monster horror comic, 
But suddenly Steve Gerber puts all this social commentary about generally, I mean, environmentalism a little bit, but also racism mm. and uh, inequality and injustice and things. So Man-Thing really typifies both. I mean, it typifies the, the Bronze Age, really. Yeah. His solo comic, you know, ran from uh, not very long, 22 issues. Um, so, so Adventure into Fear goes so well. That they they give Steve Gerber and Man Thing his own series. I, I skipped over that for some reason, and and that was great. And that was great. And that introduces an element of magic and mystic stuff to to the um, to the origin of Man Thing. Um, but that didn't last very long. It, it gets cancelled in 1975. Um, but before it did, and like this is the popularity of of Man Thing. Briefly, like kind of like How the Duck. How the Duck was so hugely popular. For a brief shining period of time, always we talked about, and of course, how the duck debuted in oh, if, in Man Thing. In Man, how the, how, Man what, Thing is the is the you know Man Thing features the first appearance and stories of how the duck. Seriously, yeah, yeah, we talked about that and how the duck episode. Steve Gerber, the oh, writer of Man God, Thing, sorry, how sorry, the duck, man. and then spun off um, during the mid seventies. Yeah. Marvel did this thing where they would produce uh, four times a year. They produce a quarterly, larger version of a popular series. Mm. They would call it the giant size. So you get a giant size X Men, <laughs> right? A giant size Spider Man. That just sounds like a food. They did. Can I have the a Spider Man, please? Do you want a giant size it for an extra fifty p? They did the same with the character we're talking about today, Will. A giant-sized man-thing. Boom! <laughs> this giant-sized man-thing sounds rude. You're quite correct, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it has become a long-running joke in the comic book community yeah. for many, many years. Giant-sized man-thing. Giant-sized man-thing was a, a, a comic that Marvel... Uh, was kind of more of a magazine, really. Yeah. Um, that, that featured the... Reprints of black and white reprints of sixties and fifties horror kind of uh, monster comics with How the Duck in there as well. Mm. Um, after a while, Man Thing is cancelled. You know, well, well, sorry, after he's cancelled uh, in, in seventy five, I mean, he becomes more of like this great background character in the Marvel universe, yeah. and he does get. Mm. Uh, they they try again with another series, and it doesn't last very long, like twelve issues that time, mm. and and he gets some limited series along the way. But he becomes, if you remember from our Nick Fury episode, and listen, guys, there's a reason the weird, wild, and wacky episodes are all connected. Yeah, um, which they are. How the Duck Man Thing, uh, Nick Fury, Nick, Nick Fury. As I said, he, they had some stabs and some great stabs at him being a a a, a main character, a protagonist in a story, in a, in a, in, a, in a comic book series. But then it doesn't progress, and for the the majority of Nick Fury's existence he's this awesome background character that adds incredible shading to the marvel universe mm. that can be brought in whenever the avengers you know need to be told the government isn't happy with you or when the mutant problem gets so big the government get involved well here comes nick fury in the helicarrier or when you want to do a big spy story man thing becomes kind of a bit similar really he, he he's um he's a big part of the marvel world mm. used very sparingly yeah but not a character that, that has his own comic really for any significant period of time. He appears in other stories and he's a, he's a guest appears and stuff. Uh, not a protagonist or an antagonist, but he's used an awful lot. Whenever there's like a, 
a story with a mystical bent or a monster or whatever. Um, man thing, you know, crops up an awful lot around characters like Doctor Strange and and the other monsters as well, um, including the Legion of Monsters, which we will get to as we go through. Um, but but yeah, he he. He is never one to be spun off into a cartoon series or or get really an action figure line or or anything like that. Really none of the monster themed characters did. Um and this is really the, the this movie is his first first time that he's venturing out of the swamp. <laughs> We love doing the show, but we love even more that we get to hear from you guys about this show. Please keep sending us your love, because that's what keeps us going. Look, there's all sorts of ways that you can support the show and show us that you uh, you love you love the episodes we're putting out. The downloads are a big, good one. We like to see them. Um, but, but also, we love hearing from you guys and hearing what you've been listening to. Um, so please keep uh, sending us... Um, your thoughts and your reflections and your memories and suggestions for things we can do in the future. Drop us a line, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. Um, or you can send us some short love, some shorter love. Shorter love. Um, <laughs> I did, someone did ask, is shorter love a song? Is it higher love? People keep, yeah, it's higher. I'm just thinking higher love with shorter. I don't know why, but that, that's what I'm doing. Higher love's um, a great song. Can, you can do that uh, by dropping us a, a tweet to uh, at Marvel Versus on the Twitter. And that's a great place to follow us so that you can get all sorts of announcements and things as well, especially concerning live dates, live performances, and that special show next year. So, Will, what's in the Marvel, the MVM mailbag this week? Well, first of all, we got one from our good friend Peter J, who has returned to say... Hi guys, it's been a while, so first of all, let me say you go from strength to strength. The spin-off cast, uh, Obscure Marvel, is just fantastic and soon to be doing Obscure Plots 2. That I cannot wait for. The first DC edition is awesome. Thank you for tackling Superman. I love this film. Everything about it. You did it justice and it was filled with amazing facts figures and trivia and the dc marvel crossover bonus episode is just fantastic together these two episodes make a cracking listen and then the spider-verse episode is quite simply a quality episode for a quality film please keep up the good work the long episode format clears off whole work days for me which is terrific and the next episode is man thing i do love these delves into the more wacky or lesser known movies Although the first character interactions make it look like a standard low-rent slasher flick, blonde girl and jock-looking lad wander away from the group into a dark area for some <clears throat> alone time with compulsory nudity and blood gore. This style does not make it past a fu- past a, about a minute five and to, to, and, and to me feels a bit disjointed. But this whole green tinge sequence has a comic book feel to it. And if you freeze-frame random bits... They look like comic book panels, which I kind of love. I know which bits you're freeze-framing, Peter J., you dirty boy. Yeah, those weren't green-framed. For me, the whole film has this kind of slow pace to it, so you linger a little longer on each visual uh, making making it look like a comic book panel there is a really good chance that this only makes sense in my head but there we go no, no, it, no, no i know what, i know what you mean i know what you mean 
The sets throughout the film are quite amazing, especially the swamp sets, and the man thing looks okay, and I think is an actual monster suit with a tiny amount of CGI. Also, there is a Stan Lee cameo, just about anyway. Strangely, this may be a horror movie that, for once, I actually like. I can't remember anything substantial about the character from the comic books uh, that I sometimes get him and swap things confused. So I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, This, and I know you haven't recorded it yet, is going to make a great addition to my weird and wonderful playlist, which will be Howard T. Duck, Nick Fury and Man-Thing, with episodes of Obscure Marvel in between as palate cleansers. There is an obscure Marvel uh, character that we will chat about in the in the main in the main notes. So that's a little little nod. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of which one now. Great. Who do you think it's going to be? Armless Tiger Man. Bad bet. Okay. <laughs> Before I go, let's talk about the Last Stand. Please do not cover this. And here, <laughs> here is my thinking as to why you shouldn't do it. You'll be going over the same ground as other stuff you covered, and are gonna go cover, and it's is much, and that is much better source material. You can use the time to do much better things. It's bloody awful, and I try not to say that about things as it's not constructive or useful, but it is. Quite frankly, I've seen sketch shows with more cohesion than that film. <laughs> anyway, keep up the great work. This thing that you do is amazing. Thank you very much, Peter J. That's really good to hear. He is right. It's it last. Well, we've got more to say on last stand. You crack on. It had, we've had some more last stand stuff. It had Frasier in it. It had Frasier in it. Rob, Frasier was there for a bit. <clears throat> sure, Frasier pops up in the X Men. I, I, I was really happy to see Frasier. The public is saying not to do it. We've just heard that. So, okay, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe some members of the public, maybe the silent majority, might speak up. Rob, have you thought about that? Of course you well, have read the next letter. Yeah. Okay, well, Marcus wrote in with another comment uh, on X-Men Last Stand. And he says, Okay, screw it, I've switched sides. I remember seeing X-Men The Last Stand when it first came out. I was one of the poor saps who actually paid money and went to sit in a movie theatre for that piece of crap and watch Fosh- Fox flush their X-Men franchise down the toilet. As a die-hard X-Men lover, it was the worst movie experience of my life. So when you guys <laughs> first started doing the X-Men movies, I was all for Rob and his refusal to ever cover that trash bag of a movie. Never happening. But after months of hearing the glee and chaos in Will's voice every time he brings it up, I've now officially switched sides. I think forcing Rob to cover the last stand would make for the best MVM episode God of all damn it, time. Marcus. What's <laughs> happened to you? The tides are turning. Or as I like to say from the office, ah, how the turntables... P.S. I couldn't love your Phoenix Saga episodes more. It was everything I wanted in a deep dive into the best Marvel story ever, and I'm so glad you chose the animated series to fully explore every part of the story. Please, please, please cover the Dark Phoenix Saga soon and finish the story off. Thank you again, Marcus. Uh, When you say finish something off, I don't know if you really uh, want, you know, it just sounds like you want want to over and done with when you say finish it off. Stay tuned, Marcus, for the end of the show. We've got an announcement that you will love. Although I've, I think I'm going to turn against you now because you've turned on me. Don't, you so, can't turn on the audience, Rob. The audience I are think always I right. Can. They're always right. I think I can. They're always right. 
It's one for last stand and one against last stand. Not not not, not Peter J though. He, he he's not being constructed with his criticism, yeah, yeah, so it doesn't yeah. count. So this 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 one counts. Anyway, we got one from Cody 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 Cody. Who's back? He's back. Uh, do you do you do? Cody 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 Cody. I have uh, I have not heard that song since <laughs> two thousand and seven. <laughs> well, now you have. And now I have it. Yeah, they they were good for a bit, weren't they? The Arctic, not the Arctic. I was going to say the Arctic Monkeys. Who were they? The Arctic Monkeys. Um, but for all we know, something terrible. One of the members has committed some awful crime that we've not heard about because that tends to be what happens when you haven't heard of someone for a while. Yeah, yeah, that, that tends to happen. And now I've forgot what the name of the band is. Anyway, you guys keep knocking them out of the park with everything. The Superman episode was awesome. Rewatching that movie again, and the episode gave me a renewed appreciation of the character. Into the Spider-Verse was an awesome movie. The animation and the music was top-notch. The Prowler music was awesome and gave the character a great tone. Also, was excited to learn Man-Thing had a movie. Didn't know a ton about the character, but he seems intriguing. I read the 50th anniversary miniseries that came out for him recently. Uh, Sorry, I read. And it made me interested in the character. In preparation for this episode, I watched the Man-Thing movie for the first time. A meh movie overall. I've watched a lot of crappy horror movies over the years, and it's honestly not the worst. It's cool to see that the actress that plays Terry is also Trish Walker in the Jessica Jones Netflix series. The love interest between Terry and Kyle was odd. I knew it was going to happen, but very little build-up. Also, glad movies have moved past using that orange-slash-yellow tint effect. Uh, not a fan. Do you know what he's talking about at the end there? The ori- it's, it, There's this... Um... <sighs> There is a lot of different tints they've used in movies over the t- over the years, and the orange slash yellow one was was prevalent for some time. Okay, I don't think I noticed it uh, in this really, but there we go. I, I noticed um, some tints, but yeah, thank you very much for that, Cody, 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 Cody. Uh, uh, thanks for writing, everyone. You can drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail But the best place to get in touch with us to show us your love is by uh, heading to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel where we have all our most incredible uh, fans and supporters and where we give back with incredible bonus content um bonus episodes just for subscribers um you can subscribe and support us for just three pounds a month that will help keep the lights on around here and in exchange for that three pounds a month you'll get access to our spin-off show obscure marvel where every month we look at an obscure ridiculous marvel character um and uh, will has an awful lot of fun <laughs> uh, hearing about some of the most ridiculous uh, marvel uh, stories and things of, of all time and we're also going to be kind of extending that into um obscure plot lines as well especially at christmas there's some fun 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 to be had in our christmas december edition so everyone that supports us gets access to um, the, the the Obscure Marvel spin-off mini show each and every uh, month. And then we've got the uh, people that get ac- early access to these shows. They get them uh, the week before they're released to the general public. You get access on a Friday, so you can have all weekend with us um, instead of having to wait all the way until Monday. At the £10 tier, you're doing the heavy lifting and you are, are giving us a huge amount of uh, of your support and that allows us to give back to you with full-length bonus episodes. Now, last month, we dropped a Justice League Avengers crossover, which um, was mm. something else, Will. Oh, it was uh, something it was else, wasn't it? 
It was a one of a kind, never yeah. to be repeated. Um, and there was a big, big, big cosmic story for us to, to pull apart and get into. Um, and that was incredible. And then uh, spinning off from the Into the Spider-Verse movie that we covered in the last episode, the full-length bonus episode that we released in October, was a look at the comic book Spider-Verse uh, event, which was huge, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Huge. I mean, it, you think Into the Spider-Verse was mad. The, man, it, this this was... Oh god, it was mad. Even, even every Spider-Man ever yeah. was featured in this, except for, um, and they actually reference this. You don't get uh, Tobey Maguire's. You can't get the movie versions of Spider-Man. Yeah. Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield. Um, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark didn't turn up. Do you know who else didn't turn up? That fa- the Fathers for Justice guy. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I just thought of that just now. The father's for... It'd be great if he pops up. He got another Spider-Man. What's his superpower? He doesn't see his kids. No. <laughs> if Turner Wayne's against me. Um, so <laughs> we did a huge dive into uh, into the, the, the multiverse of Spider-Man. The, the ultimate predators coming after every of Spider-Man. And uh, Peter's journey and, and Otto Octavius's journey. And had a huge amount of fun with that one, which um, our supporters already love and are raving about. And we, we drop those every month. And what we tend to do with those, Will, is we, we don't look at a movie or a TV show. We actually look at some of the major storylines in the Marvel comics mm. that haven't yet been adapted and may not have been adapted or we spin off. Like Certainly when we get to Endgame, we are going to be able, and Infinity War, we're going to be able to take a look at the full Infinity Gauntlet saga Hmm. which um, there's the Infinity Gauntlet, there's the Infinity War, and then there's the Infinity Crusade. There's three huge galactic crossovers based around the Infinity Stones. It's not just Thanos getting the gauntlets. There's an awful lot to 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 look into. And, you know, we wouldn't be able to do all of that in, in, in one episode on, on the main show. It's a great place for us to spread our wings and, and, and spread out. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And, you know, you guys show us your support on there. Help keep us going. Um, and and, uh, and we, we give back with incredible bonus content each and every month. And we'll be doing that again and again and again all throughout next year as well. We also want to put out a big, uh, a big thank you to everyone that supported us. But also to say, look... You guys, if you've not been able to join us on Patreon, you can still support us. Make sure that you don't just subscribe to our show. Make sure that you give us five stars. You give us a nice rating. You you like our episodes when they crop up on whatever device you're listening to. Make sure you leave us a review. That helps us hugely. Like the reviews and the and the five stars on on the iTunes or the or the Apple um, the Apple kind of app. And, and Spotify help us hugely, help us to reach more and more people. So if you, you know, times are tight, maybe it's getting towards Christmas. If you can't support us on Patreon, if you don't want access to all those bonus episodes, then do do something else for us. Share us on Facebook, share us on Twitter, share us with people that you know. Give us that rating that we deserve. Give us that five star. Give us likes and all that sort of wonderful stuff. Leave us glowing, glowing reviews. And that's your way of supporting us as well. Um, Absolutely. So that's if you can't but if you want that good good if you want that icky icky if you want that wonderful bonus content it is patreon 
patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel we have set the table will on both sides um, from the movie production to the comic book production and we've uh, we've uh, paid some bills and we thank the people that need to be thanked and we've um, had some incredible letters and, and things come through it is now time on Halloween <laughs> to take a look at the only horror movie Marvel have ever made Will if you're brave enough press play and take us on a spooky ride I'm going to put the video nasty in the nasty video player <laughs> and we're going to press play it's such a horny such a horny thing to you know it's a video nasty. Video nasty, yeah. And to be fair, nasty video player was pretty... Eh, okay. It was inspired, Rob. That's what it was. It was inspired. I'm very clever and I should be appreciated more. You can tell you're back on the stage now, yeah. eh? Press, I'm pressing play now. At Dark Waters, a Native American sacred land containing an enigmatic swamp spirit, we're told how the land was bought by an evil oil tycoon angering the swamp spirit who cries out in pain an elderly shaman says it is here that the spirit of the swamp lives this place was always filled with life and beauty but evil men have changed that with their drills their pipes greed and murder now the swamp cries out a warning a time of retribution is here meanwhile nearby a group of teenagers are having a campfire party Two of the teenagers run off and have sex in a canoe in the swamp. Suddenly, the teenage boy is... Canoe sex! Just to interrupt you there, canoe sex is going to be terrible. Yeah, terrible. In fact, Will, it's going to be awful. Oh! That is the second worst uh, canoe sex joke I've ever heard in my life. That used to be... A, genuinely used to be in my act, just to let you know. I... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, sorry, it used to be in your act. Was there another bit that went yeah. with it, or you just say, hey? Yeah, I then did about like two minutes, not two minutes, but I then did probably about yeah, maybe two minutes on. It was an anti punchline, and it was all about it, it was all about yeah. how it was a bad joke. That it was, was fun. I, I, I like it with the bad jokes. I, I, I thought you just came with it just then, and I was, and I was like, oh. No, Please. I sold it with a, a little like I raised up on my tiptoes as I delivered the punchline. Oh, okay, yeah, awful. And then I did a whole bit about how the that joke is only funny because of the calf lift that I just do. I th- without the calf lift, there's no there's no comedy in it. Without going too far on a tangent, my friend used to do a really bad punchline like that. But what he would do is he kick out his leg at a ninety degree angle and go woo after he there delivered it. Yeah. And it's like if you're going to deliver a bad a, a joke like that, you have to do it with so much energy, otherwise it's not funny. Nick Helms' entire career. There we go. Anyway, suddenly, ooh, the teenage boy is brutally stabbed from behind. No, no that, that voice is not sustainable for the full show. Yes, it is. No, Spurting no. blood all over the <laughs> naked body of his girlfriend before being violently ripped backwards into the swamp. Okay, as we've talked about, obviously, with some of the letters as well, this is, this is absolute horror schlock, isn't it? This is this is, yeah. is it, this is this is the most schlockiest th- thing. This is like John Carpenter's Halloween. You know, like oh, they have sex, then they die. Like or or scream or any other kind of horror film. You know, that kind of nasty <clears throat> horror film is like oh yeah, you, you have sex, then you die. 
I'm I'm bristling at Halloween being called schlock. Okay. Um, uh, no, 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 no. Halloween very much utilizes you, the traditions of of, of 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 and creates it created to the a shock. certain extent the, the the slasher traditions. Yes, it did. That's what I mean. So, but, but you, yeah. you saw it with that. And Scream is of course a pastiche. A pastiche but, yeah. is a homage in some ways. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Halloween kicked it all off. I think Halloween's a great horror film, especially when you look at how much it cost to make and how much it made. And and uh, and, and it's funny. It's fun. It's funny as well. Anyway, this so I guess strictly speaking, Psycho. Psycho kind of kicks it off this punishment for um for lust and things. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah, you can see how it ended up on the sci-fi channel. But it also it also has hallmarks and traditions uh, or tropes or I you know I don't like saying tropes all the time, but it, it the, the traditions are there of the monster movie. Yes. You know, the two teenagers sat in their car at makeout points, you know, mm. things from the films from the 50s and 60s that predate slasher movies. I know. And then they they are punished for their wicked you know, hormonal ways by the monster that is a giant radioactive dog or whatever. And, and it's always a subconscious um, uh, message to teenagers in the audience. Don't have premarital sex or a big thing will eat you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, I, I think it's less... I don't think it's ever meant as a message. I know, I know. But I always like thinking of what, it like what, a message. What's happening, yeah. what's happening is they're yeah. making movies for teenagers who go to drive-ins to make out yeah. away from their parents what is going to scare them the most seeing literally themselves on screen getting murdered exactly <laughs> that's that's kind of the we, yeah. we've come a long way with these horror films we've gone from uh, make out point to humping swamp <laughs> boom boom <laughs> boom boom I, I i was i had that in my mind i was going to say something else but it would have been a lot worse uh also four minutes into this marvel movie and we get naked boobs and a bloody murder 10 out of 10 10 out of 10. It's so... I've seen this film before. Mm. So re-watching it, it was... But I think I saw it. I saw it around the time it came out. I saw it I saw it before I saw Iron Man. Mm. Or I saw it maybe around the same time. This but must of have course, been so Iron heartbreaking Man, for you to see, like, you know, another Marvel film that's not reaching yeah, its full potential. Yeah, it, but it was, it was de rigueur. It, it, it was... Um, What's de rigueur? It was just the the. It was just the, how things were. It was the. It was. It was the how day. the cookie. It was. It was how the cookie crumbled. It was. Yeah. It was how superhero movies went. Mm. To get. To get Spider Man <laughs> was incredible and insane and amazing. Yeah. Um. X Men Two again. It was to have ones that stood out as good was mind blowing, but the vast majority of them were Steel, Catwoman. Um, and all those things. Steel. Um, steel. I don't know that one. Maybe one day, brother. Maybe one day. Okay. You we'll deal me. with the death of the death of Superman and the rise of the Black Iron Man, Superman, Ooh. and Shaquille O'Neal playing a superhero. Oh in a, my! In a God. junkyard. So, but watching it back now, yeah, knowing what the MCU is. We start with the same, the flick through the pages of the comic book. You know that little, that little graphic they put up at the start of every Marvel movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We have that. They're not shying away. They've, they've not like bought the rights to a character, but it's not really a Marvel movie. They put up right in front and center Marvel movie, and then within a couple of minutes, we've got a topless woman. We've got a guy being butchered from behind, blood. Spurts, as it says, blood spurts out of his body, all over the naked body of his girlfriend, and he's ripped away. Marvel movie. It's 
Like that's crazy. Think about where we are with even in our journey. Mm. We're we're at phase four. It's insane. I don't want to be sexist, but I will point out a bit of sexism. You just I just get the feeling that the, you know obviously the director hired that woman based on her baps, like they used to do for horror horror movies, Hammer, Hammer horror I'm, movies. Yeah, and I'm 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 sure there's a very uncomfortable casting process, um, but Ooh. she has to be not just a good pair of baps. Cracking Perry Bristols. She was also have to convey everything that they need and act very well and scream at a high level. Mm. So there we go. Yep, horror movie schlock, sexism. Yay! So <laughs> Rob, this well, don't cheer sexism. <laughs> hey, look, people know when I'm being sarcastic or ironic, right? Sure. Yeah, that's how council culture works. I was about to say, mate, you just been sarcastic yourself. Great. Okay. <laughs> anyway. This has all the hallmarks, Rob, of an old monster movie. Is there anything like this in the Man-Thing comics? Uh, yeah. Okay, good. Ish. Ish. Um, sort of, but not really. Hey. So, lots of early issues feature Man-Thing coming across humans in, in the woods, in the swamps, mm. and watching them do stuff. Mm. And, and And it's usually... Well, to begin with, it's kind of perhaps the, the classic horror story stuff of questionable morals. And I don't mean horror movies. I mean more horror comics, okay. which tend to have more... Mm, that's a whole other... Do they still have good baps in them? No. Okay. So, <laughs> like... Horror... So... A good example, I guess. So, well, one of Man Thing's earliest stories is watching two kids dabble with witchcraft. Okay. Yeah. 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 In, yeah. The, in, in the swamp. Yeah. So that's like a that's like a ah, and then something terrible will happen to them because of that. In another, is watching an escaped convict on the run from a corrupt racist cop. Mm. That is like a horror comic kind of. You've got the whole narrative of this guy on the run and maybe he's accused of a crime he didn't commit or maybe he did commit it and he's being chased by a cop and you see the cop is like not a good guy. He's a, he's like he's an awful racist. Mm. And you, you'll see that and then the horror thing will happen. Okay. Right? Do you get it? Yeah. Like it's the same in some of the sci-fi, sci-fi comics. It's not that there's a character that is a, like you'll have a, a human interest story, yes, and then the the exciting incident will not the exciting incident, but then the extra normal incident the, will the happen. Twist, if you will, it's almost like yeah. it, it reminds me of some of the one off two thousand AD stories where you'd have yeah, the twist. absolutely, you'd yeah, have yeah, the yeah, twist that would happen. That that that's you know future shocks. Yes, um, future because, shocks exactly. Yeah, yeah, because that is like how, um. Like a what? That's how like almost an anthology series works. Mm. You don't have a returning character. Yeah, you don't like it's a one-off story, one and done. Mm. Um, but but in in Man Thing, the these human interest, complex, moral, twisted moral tales, the the twist is always Man Thing. Like <laughs> he, he's he's like the classic monster movie monster. Yeah. Um, the man thing in the comics is drawn to strong emotions. He's a very powerful empath. Yes. Okay. He goes towards strong emotions and he kind of takes them in and observes them like a very creepy stalker. Um, so he would sit and watch people. Um, Observe. He can sense and f- 
feel yeah yeah um but he has this he has like the curiosity of an animal ah yeah he, he's he he feels the emotion in the swamp goes towards it um drawn towards big emotion and 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 it goes one of two ways positive emotions soothe him negative emotions enrage him mm. so that's how the interaction kind of almost always begins yeah yeah okay back to the story the following day young replacement sheriff kyle williams reaches bywater and meets with deputy sheriff fraser who tells him the previous sheriff is among 47 missing persons Fraser explains that the people started going missing since oil tycoon Frederick Schist bought the ancient tribal lands from the shaman and Seminole chief. Is it Semin- Seminole? Seminole, I think. Seminole, yeah, the, the people. If I've got that wrong, please let me know. Seminole chieftain Ted Salis, who was also the first to disappear. Fred gets a call from the coroner and the two view the gruesome remains of Billy, the teenager murdered from the night before. So, Sheriff Williams, Sheriff Fraser, the coroner, are any of these people characters from the comic books, Rob? No, not none of them. Knew it. Absolutely Knew none it. of them. But, in the movie's defence, mm. um, yes, yeah, so this movie changes tons yeah. of the comic book concept. It is almost unrecognisable. Yeah. Aside from Man-Thing, there is only one other character in this movie that's from the comic books, but in their defence... In their defence... Man-Thing doesn't really have a lot of regular supporting cast. Yeah. Uh, again, in every... every Generally speaking... I mean, generally speaking, a couple of major stories aside... Generally speaking, it is a different... A completely different cast of characters in every issue... Except for Man-Thing. Yeah. Man-Thing is the constant. Um, he, he does have... Um, how the Duck is a companion. Doctor Strange frequently turns up, and a uh, a witch called Jennifer Kale um, makes makes frequent appearances. But aside from them, it's just Man Thing and whatever humans have stumbled into his swamp that month. Mm. So yeah, so he's basically Shrek. People just stumbling into his swamp, and stuff happens. I guess so. I haven't seen Shrek in so long. I don't really. I don't. I. I. And and I must admit, I'm kind of negatively put off ever going back by all the memes by Gen Z, um, <laughs> who seem to view Shrek and Shrek Two as the greatest comedies of their generation. Maybe so. I. Uh, but their generation then needs a lot of help. I like the meme worthiness of Shrek that looks at the uh, that takes. It takes the Mickey out of how much of a uh, phenomenon it was by 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 pointing out how ridiculous it got. I like those memes. I like those right. memes a lot. I don't have enough time to go that deep on memes. Uh, like I only see what's knocking around on Twitter, and that's it. All I'll say is Shrek is love. Shrek is life. <laughs> I'm sure there's five listeners there going, yeah, and that makes me happy. That makes me happy. I like niche. Shush. Back to the story. Before they can examine the remains much further, Fraser and Kyle are called to a disturbance from Schist. Outside the Schist facility, local protesters are opposing the new drilling operations. After dragging away 
one of the protesters, Terry Richards, to, uh, to, his, to his car. Kyle is approached by Frederick Schist, who introduces himself to the new sheriff, telling him he, ha- he bought the land legally from Ted Salas and tells him that local scoundrel René Laroque has been sabotaging his facilities. As the protesters are taken... René Laroque sounds like an evil French, like, anti-version of Dwayne Johnson. Oh, you think The Rock is the greatest wrestler of all time? Say, I'm just... I'll introduce you to René Le Rock. I'm just imagining uh, Dwayne Johnson with an extra long moustache that he twiddles now. <laughs> also, uh, I, I, do you uh, sniff the odour I am producing? I, I, I really I really was... Uh, How did that not land? How did that not land? That was a really great that, aftercuff. I'm really sorry that did land, but I was just thinking about something else. I want, And you're not going to yeah, laugh at it that's the problem with, That is the problem with conversations with you. You're always thinking of something else that's to the, do with Simpsons. No, it wasn't actually. It was actually going to be quite off the cuff, but you won't like it. It... it, it <laughs> When I was reading about, oh, the local protesters are opposing new drilling operations, I was like, oh, that wasn't the only drilling operation happening in the movie. Oh, <laughs> she was getting railed. Yeah, she was getting... She doesn't die, though. She doesn't... Her body doesn't turn off. She doesn't die. She just gets the sex. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like calling it the sex. Once we, once we get a bit more into Man-Thing mm. and who he attacks, it's going to be interesting to think about what that means for those two... As a couple. Yeah, true. Let's, let's crack on. So, as the protesters are taken away, the machines get back to work, triggering an inhuman cry from the swamp. And Will will now recreate that inhuman cry. I, for- I, I forgot the inhuman cry. What was it like? Just make just make any of them. Ah! No, that's Alan Partridge with his foot on a spike. <laughs> <laughs> you old mess. I'm not going to do it. In- if I do a cry, the cat will come by the door and start meowing. Oh yeah, let's not do that. Okay, yeah, too much noise. You will start getting getting in on it. Anyway, uh, speaking of uh, horrible noise, the alt rock soundtrack very noughties, isn't it? I, I you know, I didn't. I, I don't think any of it registered with me well, whatsoever. No, no, this, this is one of those things where you can tell the budget of a movie and the time it was made by sometimes the soundtrack yeah. they use. Like in the eighties, you'd have weird synth music if it was lower budget instead of a full orchestral piece. Or, yeah, and then and then in, in the in the nineties you'd get you know this kind of chugging guitar music, and the noughties you'd sometimes just have this alt rock, new metally kind of, kind of kind of music, and it's basically we didn't have a lot of money to do to you know, <laughs> spend, so we just got a band who was quite good at the time to you know who weren't busy and on tour to do it. I forgot. Did did, did I write down notes if, if there was anything no- worth noting about the music if it was a band or something? Or was I thinking of something else? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I've not heard or seen anything. No, I, it, then it, not worth mentioning. Uh, oh, but do you know what is worth mentioning, Rob? Let us have it. Let us have it. Terry Richards, played by Rachel Taylor. Uh, she, the actress who would then go on to start another Marvel production. She plays Trish Walker in the Netflix Jessica Jones series, as said earlier in the letter. Yeah, my goodness. That is the problem with some of our re- readers, is that they, 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 they lay out some points that we've researched quite a lot and but, laid further in. But, but yeah. thanks for the doubt, people. Thanks for the doubt that our net isn't good <laughs> enough to catch all these wonderful uh, facts in a net. Uh, also, the, uh, one last thing, the, sh- uh, the Schist logo looks surprisingly Nazi-esque. Uh, I think that was, they wanted to really, <coughs> you know, hammer at home that they're the bad guys. Well, 
Yeah. Uh, Frederick Schist, man. It sounds incredibly um, German. Uh, do you want to know about Frederick Schist? Okay, Rob, is Frederick Schist a character from the comic books? Yeah, he's the only other. He's the only other one. Oh, so this is actually oh, okay. So he is a character. You know, he's the. He's introduced by Steve Gerber. Okay. Franklin Armstrong Schist. Okay. But he he only uses his initials when he introduces himself. Oh F-A- no, Schist. F A Schist written down. Fascist. Oh my um, Steve God. Steve Gerber is look. He's not writing an. It, it, it's very on the nose, but Gerber is not. He, you know, he's not exactly trying to write something overly subtle. Yeah. Um, he's a ruthless tycoon. Ah, by God, I'm F.A. Schist. Um, who plans to, like, level um, part of the swamp and, and this city on the uh, city around the Everglades called Citrusville, um, which is, you know, obviously Florida. Yeah. Citrusville. Um and and build an airport through like basically the city's going to be gone the swamp's going to be gone yeah. everglades are going to get raised and there's going to be an airport built there and schist is the closest thing that man thing has to it to a to a nemesis mm. to a recurring what well, he is a recurring antagonist um, he's intent on demolishing parts of the everglade and building on it and as he encounters man thing again and again he switches his focus to hatred at Man-Thing and trying to kill and destroy this horrible creature and he goes more and more mad as time goes by. <laughs> I'm, F.A. Schist. I'm not over that. Uh, so, I mean, it's the midway point between quite clever and just no, no. It's not It's not quite clever, no. But it's not... Trying to be it's clever. It's not trying to be clever either. That's the uh, anyway. No. Anyway, well, it's it's like a, it feels like a sp- piece of sweet corn in my teeth now. It's annoying. Um, fantastic writer Kieran Gillen, who is from my hometown and has written incredible things like Die. If you get a chance to read Die, um, check it out. Um, and he's written some. Let's create our own project, and it's based. It's about some kids playing Dungeons and Dragons, and then they actually get sucked into the D and D world that they've created. Oh wow! And they have to live there for like ten years, and it's brutal. Um, and the whole event takes place um, on in in a a natural a land of natural an area of natural beauty that's very close to my house, um, so that's cool. Um, you can see it in a comic book. Anyway, that- when he was writing Iron Man, he created a speedster who was a Nazi, ah. and the little throwaway tag that he had to describe him. So maybe this might this might not mean anything to anyone, but the Flash is the what is the Flash? He is the Fast man. Fastest man alive. Fastest man alive, yeah. Kieran Gillen wrote in a throwaway joke for nobody in this little tag. I forget what this dude was, but he was a super speed Nazi. The fascist man alive. Oh, for the love of God. Absolutely killed me. For the love of God. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, that is a lot of fun. Anyway, back to the film. At the sheriff's station... Kyle questions Terry, who tells him that Schist is killing the swamp and people are dying as a result. When asked about the rock, Terry says Bywater is a small town and he should be easy to find. Later at a diner, Kyle bumps into Terry again, who introduces him to local shaman Pete Horn. Kyle is then bothered by photographer and conspiracy nut Mike Plug, who assures him that all the legends about the guardian spirit in the swamp are real, as well as the very sketchy... Thibod- is, is it Thibodeau? Was it Thibodeau? 
I would say Thibodeau. I thought it was Thibodeau. I thought it was pronounced Thibodeau in the films. Maybe it is then, yeah. But again, remember how, how what Americans do to any <laughs> any name that uh, that uh, they, they kind of strip a lot of Europeanness or a lot of um, yeah. a lot of uh, and a lot of the accent out of a name. Yes, it's the Thibodeau brothers, Wayne and Rooney. Uh, the name Rodney, not Wayne and Rooney. Wayne, Wayne and, Rodney. and Rodney. Sorry, not Wayne and Rooney. Jeez, that was that that was a that was a subconscious thing there. Subconscious autocorrect. So the name Mike Plug. Uh, actually, that rings a bell. He, he's someone we talked about before, right? This I might rename this episode. Uh, Head to the archives. Yeah, we when we when we looked at Ghost Rider, um, th- this guy Mike Plug is named is named after the real life artist Mike Plug, oh. um, who worked alongside Steve Gerber on the first Man Thing series. Okay, he was the artist there. Um, but Mike Plu like worked on all the seventies Bronze Age horror comics. Uh, Man Thing, we talked about him because he was the original artist on Ghost Rider. Mm. Werewolf by Night. Um, do you remember Werewolf by Night's real name? No, I can't remember. Jack Russell. Oh, <laughs> I remember now. Um, and he, and he, and he, he was the artist on on the Monster of Frankenstein series that Marvel produced. Um, and yeah, he's uh, he also we talked about him because he there's a, there's some cool facts about him. He did loads of design work and storyboard work on movies. So he he um so in Ghostbusters, all of the serial packets and things in Ghostbusters, mm. all of the artwork on that, Mike Plug wrote, ah. uh, created, drew, okay. and he, he's he's done storyboarding and design work for um, the Thing, mm. Superman Two. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, and a bunch more. Yeah, it's a fun character. He, he he's um uh, uh, he was um, Will Eisner's apprentice, which means nothing to you, but is a big deal in the comic book world. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I mean, that's why we're here. I'll just, I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever get a chance to look at Will Eisner. Will Eisner? That's what, a shame. What, who, uh, why? Why do I know the name Will Eisner? Don't know. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. He's a hugely he's he's responsible for the very first graphic novel of all time, mm. um, Contract with God, which is worth checking out. Okay. Um, doesn't feature any superheroes. Okay, I'll I'll look out for that name. So, back to the story. Sheriff Williams then makes a visit to teen survivor of the to the teen survivor of the swamp attack, who's in great mental distress. Later that evening, Williams is called out to a schist facility where someone has sabotaged all the equipment. Frederick blames LaRocque for this and Williams continues his investigation. While driving through the swampland, a suspicious figure runs past Williams' jeep, causing him to panic and search woods with his gun. So, there's so much of this film... Uh, I, I don't know how many people know this. Uh, unfortunately, you can't watch this episode of It's Always Sunny on uh, Netflix uh, anymore, but you know, you can probably find it elsewhere. Uh, this feels the same kind of quality as Lethal Weapon 5. Uh, it's Always <laughs> Sunny. You remember <laughs> they made their own Lethal Weapon film? It feels like this. Do you think? I think some of it actually feels like Lethal Weapon 5. But not the good bits that Frank paid for, the other bits. Not, not the, yeah, not the. No, uh, Frank's scenes are amazing. But you, you mean the. <laughs> What the he has that huge thing with the the, the aqua tank with the sharks in it, yeah. and the huge meeting room. I, I like that because yeah. that was basically a green screen, and they just filmed the shark. They didn't even have the edges of the tank; it was just sea life behind him. So I love yeah. that was inspired, but bad. 
And then, of course, the uh, incredibly awkward sex scene. Disturbing. <laughs> it was Very disturbing. so funny. Anyway, it does feel like the same kind of quality as that. Uh, if you can, if you can get that, what episode. was that budget? Thirty mil. Thirty million. <laughs> it felt- it's so hard to make a movie on thirty million. We talked about this with the Punisher movie, didn't we? Yeah. We said some some major advertising campaigns have a higher budget than this movie. Um, yeah. Wow. Also, uh, the protests uh, and sabotage against Schist. Does anything like that this happen in the Man Thing comics? Because I expect it does. Yeah, uh, when when Schist uh, first appears, um, quite early on in the series, Gerber introduces him, uh, and uh, you know he 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 he's going to tear the swamp down. Yeah, and the local natives, Americans, are going to be driven out of the land, and so they they're there to sabotage his his, his equipment and his vehicles, and they get into like um, kind of fights and physical physical kind of like brouhaha's with the the workers who are. You know, trying to do their job and get paid and stuff, and they don't care about you know yeah. this, this is people's land and homes and stuff. And some of them, I think, there's some gun gunfire. I think the workers shoot some of the some of the protests and stuff. Oh dear. Um, and yeah, the 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 the, the protests mount up then over several days, and it's all that those kind of protests of like lying in front of the the the. the the, not the tractors, but the construction yeah, equipment, yeah. and lying across the gates so you can't get through, and chaining yourself to to equip to construction like equipment and stuff. Um, the workers try to kill Man Thing because Man Thing is is getting involved and trying to because uh, he, he's going towards all this negative emotion. Um, mm. But but yeah, there's an awful lot. There's an awful lot of of that going on. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, that does not. Support. But I, I think Schist is going to carry this episode. <laughs> I think he's carrying this episode. Yeah, well, he kind of. It's weird. Man, thing in the movie has something that it wants to do. Yeah, man, thing in the comic books doesn't want. Anything no, he's... has no agency or drive or motivation. So you do need these strong antagonists to kind of like make everything work. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Man, thing like you know he he's fighting with construction workers and 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 killing them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So back to the story. At the Schist facility, the guards try to gun down a figure in the woods approaching them, assuming it's Lorock, but deciding not to pursue. Back in the swamp, Williams comes across a hooded figure who reveals himself to be LaRock, who tells him to go home or he will die. Suddenly, go home, lawman. Is that what he said? I don't know. It's the kind of it's the kind of dialogue you expect. Go home, lawman. Who's, who, who, who says lawman? <laughs> I God, I love it when they do. I love I love it. I love it when the writers like have them come up with like it's meant to be like a derogatory name for a cop but it just describes their job like you know it's just you know although go home boy scout like why why don't you just do i mean the the, the names we've already said just call him a fascist and be done with it if you want to insult you know the police like that well no because he's he's telling the sheriff to go home oh right you mean call him a fascist yeah, yeah. go home fascist yeah, fascist yeah, yeah no you fascist bully boy 
I think The Rock knows he's working for the fascists. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So he uh, suddenly distant gunshots fire, and Larocque escapes in a flash, leaving Williams to investigate the noise. The noise is coming from the facility where the guards are attacked by an unseen and inhuman creature. While driving to the facility, a rotted body drops on the sheriff's windshield. The body was the previous sheriff. Again, the meeting with the coroner is cut short as the sheriff is called to the schist facility. Him and the coroner identify a murdered body of one of the guards, but there appears to be a strange plant growing from inside him. The coroner admits that the previous sheriff had ordered him to file the deaths as an alligator attacks, even if he believed otherwise. So that that little bit where the guards in the facility are having to shoot out there were so many i mean just this whole bit had typical horror movie <clears throat> tropes going on because I, I know you hate that word uh, I, I don't i don't i, I don't mind it in, and I'm, I'm, i guess what i don't want i don't like to use it when the thing is quite positive quite, does that make sense yeah because it's quite a negative term uh, trope isn't my, it uh, yeah, yeah when when it, it tends to just mean traditions. Tradition, yeah. A, I think trope to me has negative connotations. Okay, okay. so this does, I'd use it here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, as tropes go, it, it genuinely feels like a survival horror video game. It has the same music, same ultra violence. You know, if you've played stuff like Resident Evil, Dead Space, anything like that, it feel it, you know, this feels like a scene right out of those games. But isn't that because those games are emulating these kind of movies? Stop talking, Rob. <laughs> but it, but I, I know it I, is. I know it that's, is. That's what they're meant to try and do. I, isn't it? I know. They're trying to recreate a survival or a horror movie I, as a game I, that's playable. I, 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 I know. But something about it really <laughs> triggered me and went ah. You know, something twigged in my head and went ah. That's a. That feels like a video game. I suppose. I suppose when the budget is lower, it perhaps does feel <laughs> more. Well, no, yeah. it would, wouldn't it? It feels yeah. less kind of Cinematic. real and less immersive and more like yeah. uh, a, a bleep bleep game. Yeah, bleep bleep. Yep. Hold. Press. Hold. R one away fire. from the zombie. Yeah, it does. It felt just like that. So. Uh, is this how Man Thing kills people by you know by growing plants inside them? Is that how he does it? Uh, no, he, he he does have the power to like control vegetation and stuff, mm. um, like an Aquaman for veg. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. <laughs> veg man, yeah, like a like yeah, will like an Aquaman for veggies, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't. I I can't recall him ever using that to kill people. Swamp Thing has because okay. um, they have that power in common. But the the tagline for Man Thing that Steve Gerber came up with is is his main his main power that he's known for. The tagline for Man Thing: Whatever knows fear burns at the Man Thing's touch. Oh, okay. If he touches you and you're afraid, you burn horribly. Is it similar it to keep burning until you die? It sounds similar to Ghost Rider's stare, the penance stare, the penance stare, not the Paddington stare, the penance. No, stare. or the Care Bear stare. The so man thing is drawn to powerful emotions. He is enraged by fear, mm. and his his body, quote unquote, his form automatically secretes this powerful corrosive um and anyone feeling fear will be horribly burned when he touches them mm. he, he he's 
it's like the only time he kind of has a compulsion almost. No, that's not true. But in in, in as stories go on, it, it's it's the main it's the main compulsion. He's driven and compelled to stop the horrible emotion of fear that he is sensing. You know, like how dogs can sense fear and it sends them mad. They hate it. Yeah. They they can smell and sense fear and it enrages them. It puts them on the defensive and on the attack. Man thing has that. Um he's driven to get rid of it. Get this fear out of my swamp and away from me. So he will grab and burn anyone that is feeling that fear until it stops. Either they run away or they die. Mm. Um in but then also he he's he, he he's brutally he's, he's brute brute strength. So in all his early stories, like he's constantly being attacked. Man thing is constantly being attacked by anim- the animals of the Everglades. The swamp animals. They just naturally attack this weird thing. Mm. Because because it's like it's not plant, it's not animal, it's not man. It drives animals mad. They're like, Wah! So he can't walk through the Everglades without being <laughs> You know, gators going at him and snakes trying to kill him and stuff. It sounds like more of an so, annoyance than an actual antagonist or anything. It's just like a, it's just like a yeah, no, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's not like a it's not like a story. It's like it's just it's a like thing that me trying to walk down the stairs and the cats keep running at my legs. So we yeah, but not that gators. <laughs> yeah, but he, the comparison the, the comparison works because he's he could take on gators. To to peer behind the curtain, folks. <laughs> Will you know these days he's comparing an awful lot of things that you talk about to his cats. They are very nice they, they cats. They find their way into every conversation you have. Their names are Garrus and Data, oh, and they're go. two lovely little boys. So <laughs> your face. So we see an awful lot of man thing. He's like he's trying to walk from one location to the other. We see an awful lot of him killing gators and 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 other predators, just like with brute strength, kind of. Ripping them up, them apart, um, but I I don't like he he doesn't like yeah he doesn't there's not a lot of like um, growing plants inside people to kill them yeah it's that's that's more interesting stuff anyway back to the st- back I thought you were going to agree with me back to the story uh, Williams and Fraser pay a visit to the hostile Thibodeau Thibodeau brothers at their swamp shack. Warning them to stay away from the rock or he'll throw the book at them. Later that evening, Williams and Fraser try to track LaRock, who lives in the swamp, by using a canoe. During their search, they come across. Is it a sex canoe? No, the sex canoe is an entirely different brand of canoe. Oh, this is a transportation canoe. The sex canoe has uh, like weighted bits on either side to stop the shaking during the act of intercourse. Yeah. (laughs) It's the most Alan Partridge thing I've said today. Uh, I say rigid dampers. <laughs> I mean, I mean, rigid, I mean telescopic stays. No, no, rigid stays, yeah. <laughs> telescopic dampers. Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> During their search, they come across Plug Shack. Williams continues into the swamp alone, leaving Fraser at the shack. At the same time, Schist sends the Thibodeau brothers, local thugs, to track and murder LaRock. However, the monster in the swamp stalks the Thibodeaux kills them. At the shack, Frazier sees a silhouette of Plug and follows him, calling out his name. Meanwhile, in the swamp, Williams is suddenly snared in a trap set by LaRock, who emerges to tell him that he's joining the hunt. So I'm joining the hunt. <laughs> kind of how that went. 
that's how that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Obviously, not me. Uh, the swamp felt like a very eighties horror film, didn't it? It had it was obviously fake swamp. <laughs> oh right, yeah, 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 um, yeah. It did. It. I don't know about it. It had a night. It felt more like this whole thing feels like a nineties horror to me. Yeah. It doesn't feel like eighties whatsoever. I was thinking about the lighting um, and the darkness and everything. It felt something about it. Obviously, felt staged. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was. It was a set. It was a set. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this movie, right, is called Man Thing, but he, as we've discussed, he's really not the main character at all. I mean, obviously, that is some. They're obviously doing that from the comic books because he's observing, right? Well, yeah, but he's not really. He's not playing the same role yeah. in the movie, is he? Yeah. He is the antagonist in the movie. Yeah. In the comics, he's not the antagonist or the protagonist. He's more of a narrative device. <laughs> a, a plot device, yeah. yeah. Um, generally speaking, Man Thing doesn't have a human mind. Mm. Uh, he doesn't have reason or thoughts uh, or. or he has some thoughts. He doesn't drive really. Um, the, the start, I, he he he's he's a little bit like RoboCop almost. He, <laughs> he has he well he's he's a man who's had his um, sentience taken from yeah. him and he's become a monster. Yeah. Um, but he has these scattered memories of his life as a man. Oh, okay, um, okay. Very RoboCop. But but as as the as the as the years go on. The memories kind of fade, really, and and mm, yeah, and he, and he's you're absolutely right. He is much more of a plot device than a protagonist or anything like that. He's uh, like a wandering animal. Hard to make a wandering animal a protagonist or an, even an antagonist. Yeah, not not completely he, feral, just sort of no, roaming. no, no, no. So he. Sense, as we say, senses strong emotion, yeah. and with an animal's curiosity, he goes toward it. He likes being around positive emotions like happiness, love, excitement, curiosity. He very much likes calm people. Yeah, uh, but like an animal, if he senses, if he senses negative emotions like hate and fear and kind of pain to a certain extent, it enrages him, and he wants to get rid of it and get it out of his swamp. Mm. So for the majority of the, of his stories, he doesn't really have any agency. He doesn't drive the plot forward. Something dramatic and bad happens in the Everglades. Man-Thing is drawn to it. Usually an awful example of humanity. Racism or murder or something like that. Uh, or an attack or whatever. The story is then whatever happens between the human characters that turn up. And then usually things get so bad... That the emotions are so bad and negative that the man thing arrives and burns someone to death <laughs> or punishes them, but in a it's almost like being punished by nature, being punished by mm. the world or the cycle turning. It's not like I have seen it's just you've done so you, you've made the, you've made man thing come to you and kill you and hurt you by being so negative um so. Yeah, the, the, it's not always true because Gerber does create some good ongoing stories with different dimensions. That's when How the Duck first shows up. But in general, the basis is is that he's 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 a plot device that kind of sees something, sees it a bit more, comes at the end and kills the bad guy. Okay, okay, okay. But not because he hates, not because he's a good guy. He's more like a force of nature. Yeah, 
we say that about things like Galactus and the Punisher, which I don't think they're always true. No, no, you I mean there's, there's, there's very there's much the man thing is he's a, the force of nature. He's a literal force of nature, not like a, a force of nature as in oh, he's really good at football. Well, we but 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 we we said it about Galactus because especially in that bonus episode, Galactus is like above morality almost mm. above above this kind of ethical code. He doesn't really have one because he's just having his tea. Yeah, um, having his tea. Jeez, I'm just pitching him in slippers now. <laughs> the largest slippers crack- known to man. Wearing a cracking pair now. Yeah, I bought oh, myself nice. a new pair the other week. The smashing. Um, but yeah, man thing. Manny, as I like to call him, Manny. he he wonderfully goes inert when it's like nothing's happening. She's like no emotions. He just stops and literally like vegetates. Oh. He's not. He's not like he's not it, an animal. Like where they they're gonna have to constantly seek food and do things. There's, no, he doesn't have to eat. Yeah. It, it, there's maybe an element of hibernation to it. Yeah, he's this mix between like plant and animal and man. Yeah, yeah, Aquaman with vegetables. So back to the film. Laroc admits helping Schist buy the lands, as him and his people had nothing. Laroc claims that Salis was opposed to the sale. Laroc insists that the Guardian spirit would keep on murdering until Schist stops desecrating the sacred swamp. Fraser tries to help Laroc, but the man thing appears and uses his powerful plant branches to rip Fraser to pieces. The rock knocks Mitt Williams down and escapes. Williams wakes up and finds Plue taking photos of Fraser's severed arm, angering the sheriff. Plue says he's just doing his job and that he has pictures of uh, he has pictures and pictures of the monster. So, it's man the man thing this violent and brutal in the comic books because you know because we got the stare. The, 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 the stare. The the not the stare. What does he do? What does he burn people? We, the burning he burns people. He doesn't stare at them. He doesn't do the Paddington thing. He doesn't no. burn people. He he, he never to, he never brutalizes people, does he? I, I very much enjoyed the, at various points during this movie. You're a confusing man thing with Paddington Bear. <laughs> Paddington Bear is indeed a force of nature who is attracted to emotions. <laughs> Oh, I want to recast this movie with like Hugh Grant playing F.A. Schist, yeah, and Man Thing. Like Paddington is this terrifying, horrifying giant man. No, no, it's Man Thing, but he's got Paddington's hat on. He's got yes. Paddington's hat on. Oh God, he, he he's not he's not he's not brutal like this in the comics. No, there's no ripping of limbs and tearing people apart. Not his style. Um, he, he he can't when he can't control himself because of he's the fear and the hatred um he he's just he's just going to make it stop like here man thing is killing everyone he's killing sheriff fraser who has or deputy fraser whatever has nothing to do with the drilling and the construction and all that right mm. Yeah, Frasier is not one of the bad guys Fra- Fra- in this movie. Frasier is a third party. But the, this this movie man thing is killing everyone in his swamp because <laughs> we demand violence in this kind of thing, Rob. We don't. Yeah, want, I guess so. We don't want nuance in a horror film. You want you want oh the bad things here, and he kills the man. Therefore, the bad thing still has this air of terror to it. If the, if the bad thing just went, no, not today. We go. Oh, he's not that much of a threat. But you could have had you could have had it that every you could still have had it that he was killing only bad people, 
and it's still a problem. It's still something that the, the authorities have to stop, and it's still a monstrous creature and everything. Yeah, but when when the good guys go into the swamp, they're, they're suddenly we're suddenly not worried if they're going to die or not because oh, it's okay. They're good of Nate. They're good of heart. Not, not no, not necessarily because it's not like you have that discussion. It's not like anyone says. I think he's only killing naughty people. It's just we we see that the people his victims are bad guys. Mm. Um but maybe 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 you're right. You're not, but maybe you're right. Um thanks thanks for the no, vote of confidence. Comic book man thing his main thing is just grabbing and burning. Grabbing and not, burning. Not like this. Not, not, I mean it's I mean maybe it's brutal. Grabbing it's not. and burning is fine, but I draw the line at tearing apart. Yeah, I, <laughs> no, I think being burnt to death is horrifying. Horrifying, yeah. Especially yeah. by like a small acid that is like, yeah, because uh, he generally grabs your face. Oh, that, I thought he just grabbed you by the shoulder, Gra- like like he just found your wallet. It, excuse me, sir. Excuse oh, me, sir. Ah! He, I guess he grabs anything, but the iconic one is. I guess we'll get to it, but. It's what he does to his to his to his wife. Oh, Psh, on the face. Oh, are we getting to press the, play? Press play. We're back to the film. Escorting Plug to his shack, the sheriff realizes the photographs. Uh, sorry, the sheriff seizes the photographs and forbids Plug to come back to the swamp. The following day, Williams questions Horn about Ted Salas selling his land to Schist. Horn says that nobody who knew Ted believes he would ever have sold his land to developers. But when Schiss constructed his plant and killed the land with his drilling, something terrible happened. Horn says the swampland is a part of his people and culture and home to some powerful magic. Horn says his tribe's most powerful guardian spirit lives in the dark waters, there to protect what they call the nexus of all realities. (laughs) Okay, so obviously this is some kind of ancient magic, you know, because we've got Native American spirits and this thing that is... Called the Nexus of All Realities. Does this come from the original stories? Yeah, yeah. It sounds very um, Sandman. Oh, do you think? Yeah, I think it sounds very Sandman. Uh, Nineteen seventy-two. Uh, the Nexus is first kind of discussed and introduced. Um, it is. It's a spot in 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 the world where. The walls between realities are so thin that creatures and objects and things can pass from one reality to to the other. Yeah, um, as in this nexus point, kind of like the uh, the web man, <clears throat> the web man from the Spider Verse. Oh, the web of life and destiny. The web, the web man, yeah, um, the web man, the webman. I'm, mm, mm, Look, just say no maybe. and move on. Don't string it out. I don't. Okay. <laughs> so in, in 1972, in one of the earliest Man Thing stories, there's this amateur witch called Jennifer Kale and her, and her little younger brother. They take an occult textbook into a swamp yeah. and do a little ritual. They think, oh, the, the the spell didn't work, and off they go into town to go to the movies. But they've actually opened a dimensional rift. And they freed a demon known as the Nether Spawn. Uh huh. And you know, Man Thing comes along and 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 smacks him around. Of course, gives him a good old biffin. Le- le- Sorry, gives him a good give old a, biffin. A good old biffin. 
later on a group of like occultists come back to the same spot and that's the first time we hear the kind of sort of the term they claim that this this part of the everglades is part of the nexus of of black magic hmm. um but we, we we learn it's it's the one place in, in mountain comics later on we learn it's the one place where all the multiverses kind of intersect um the nexus is extremely dangerous and it exists on every world uh, and every reality and every dimension and they tend to always have a gatekeeper who protects the nexus at all costs okay for the marvel universe the gatekeeper is man thing right. because it's in his swamp either by cosmic destiny or just by chance mm. Because Man-Thing is tied to the the Everglades and the swamp there is home to the Nexus, he has become its unofficial guardian. Also because of his empathic thing. So if something dangerous or evil comes through the Nexus from another world, because of his nature now, Man-Thing is drawn to any disturbance instinctively, empathically, and and will do great harm to anything that comes through that is twisted or evil and has those emotions. Like, it's almost an accidental great guardian. Or, or it's cosmic destiny and the universe kind of needed this to happen. Okay. Um, in his first encounter with a demonic creature, that netherspawn, Manthing literally shoves it back through the portal where it came from because he just wants to get it out of his swamp. I don't like the way you are feeling. Go away. Um, but that saved the reality, all of reality. Um, yeah, it, it, because of this connection, Man Thing is like one of the most important defenses that the the Marvel Earth has. Mm. Even though he's like unknown yeah. to the world and to most of the superhero community as well, he's not like someone that that, that people know. Um. Doctor Strange and Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, they both have very high regard for Man-Thing, okay. even though he's not like a person or a hero, because of this role he plays. Like Reed Richards speculates that Man-Thing acts almost like the antibody of the Marvel Universe mm. to keep out infections from other, you know, coming through the, this, this weakened barrier, the Nexus. With with that in mind, because I know with Guardians of the Galaxy and to a lesser extent the What If TV series, Howard the Duck has started popping up a bit. Not as a main character or a side character, but just sort of like in the background, you know, yeah. just, just doing things. Do you think something like, say, the next Doctor Strange film, that we might get a little peek at Man-Thing? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, he was mentioned in one of the Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV shows. Really? Just mentioned. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I, I'm i sure he'll turn up at something because Marvel keep making content. But <laughs> I don't think... He'll pop up in MODOK, the dumping ground for all obscure Marvel characters. I mean, maybe because it's the multi... I just think it's a big, big... I don't know. Maybe maybe there'll be a glimpse of him in the multiverse thing. I don't, Even if I don't it's know. just a quick, quick, quick glimpse of him in a crowd of things like they do in Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. I, I, that's what I meant. You know, even even that he might be an Easter egg, uh, but I don't think it's going to be kind of like a a, a real 
Yeah, a real. That's why I meant Easter egg. Thing. Yeah, just a little Easter egg. Yeah, maybe, maybe that that, that certainly it. is what MCU fans love more than anything, including plot. <laughs> they uh, freaking love them Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm the pretending end- them Easter eggs lead onto something more important. Post-credit sequence is the most important thing that we love about the movie, especially when it involves um, a guy called Ralph Boner. So, because of its like myst- mystical significance, the Nexus keeps drawing all sorts of supernatural beings to the swamp from our world, not through the Nexus, but like like the living mummy is drawn to go there, mm. where by night is drawn to go there. They're just like mystical things feel. A draw towards Manthing's swamp, which certainly spices up his life because he kind of doesn't really want people in his swamp. Yeah, um, get Manthing, out of my swamp. <laughs> Manthing is also able to travel through the Nexus and to go anywhere. You happy with that one? You really He's pleased basically with that one? <laughs> Shrek with less talking. <laughs> Manthing is able to travel through the Nexus and he can go anywhere he wants. On Earth, anywhere he wants in the multiverse, uh, but he 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 doesn't do it because he doesn't want to go anywhere because Man Thing wants nothing. Mm. So he could go anywhere and use the power of the Nexus, but he does not. <laughs> I like I like how Man Thing on paper just sounds like a really big anticlimax. It's like yeah, yeah, he does nothing. He just wanders about a bit. I. Have I feel I have more in common with Man Thing than any other here? <laughs> like until the rest of the world compels me to take action, I am inert. I am inert. <laughs> I like that. Back to the film. After this interview, Williams reveals to Terry that he witnessed an inhuman creature killing Fraser the night before, and the two start kissing. However, their short romantic mo- <laughs> I know, I really phrased... And the two start kissing. He's like, Love that read. That was great. I'm, I'm sorry, the way I phrased it there, it's like, oh, nothing gets me you know, hotter now than a beast killing people in a swamp. Maybe that's what... Listen, I'm not, we're not here to... Hashtag no kink shaming. Yeah. Um, whatever, whatever gets the motor running. Whatever gets the motor running, you know, whether it's be the speedboat or the sex canoe... Sorry, I think sex canoe is a yet another catchphrase that should catch on. No. Don't do this to me. We're making t-shirts tonight. Shut up. <laughs> However, their short romantic moment is ruined by Schist, who pulls up in his Jeep and starts pulling rank on the sheriff after Williams says he wants the FBI to get involved. Later that evening, Horn goes to the swamp and tries to stop the man-thing with prayers and rituals. The monster stabs Horn multiple times with his plant tendrils and his body and fills his body with seeds and sap and plant life until Horn's veins bulge and his eyes burst and he dies. I have to say, some of these effects were surprisingly good. Really good? Yeah. You you know me, I can play. For 30 mil, they're really good. The deaths all look good. Yeah. The creature looks looks really good. Yeah. Amazed, Amazed. I, I, a great, I, a great spend in the budget. I, I just, 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 just the whole acting, the whole everything about this film's like, oh, it's so cheap and horrible. And then you get to the actual man thing and the effects. You're like, oh, that's where the money went. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, does he? We, we discussed though. He would never. Why was he? He would never kill and hurt innocent people like this, even if he is, you know, in his swamp. 
Well, that's not true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, he was doing it, a ceremony. Whilst they do like to present Man Thing as this inhuman thing, yeah. For all intents and purposes, he is a good guy. Yeah. Who generally only hurts and kills bad guys. Yeah. And the way they explain that, without making him a person with a mind and a moral code, is this thing of like positive emotions. He's cool with. But he has to destroy negative emotions, you know, fear and hate. Yeah. So that's usually bad people get get it, good people don't. Yeah. But then there is the time he kills Cosmic Space Jesus. Hello? Um, 1976. What? <laughs> there's a one-off story called The Legion of Monsters. Okay. Which is a rad, rad ride. Okay. A, a mountain suddenly appears in Los Angeles. All right. Out of nowhere. And it creates a massive earthquake and a massive panic. And certain people in the area feel a pull to go towards it. Those people are Ghost Rider, Morbius the Living Vampire, and Jack Russell Werewolf by Night. Jack Russell. Jack Russell Werewolf by Night. And also uh, Man-Thing. Despite the fact he's in Florida, he goes towards this disturbance and the nexus of all realities just takes him there okay. he just walks and there he is and so the, these four monsters kind of are drawn towards this mountain and they, they, they see in this mountain a large glorious golden man on a glorious golden horse and he calls himself the star seed and he is like regal and peaceful and amazing and he's like he's from earth's ancient ancient past a peaceful society inhabited the mountain here and then aggressive aliens attacked and and, and drove us away and we ran off into space and my people have evolved and become gods and i'm the very last of my kind and i've returned here to my home, my old home, the home of my old people, because I wish to bespow gifts upon this world. Uh, Starseed is is this glorious, benevolent force of incredible power that is going to deliver humanity into paradise, is going to cure every sickness and disease on the planet, end hunger, and pretty much bring about world peace. Well, that's too bad, guys, because Morbius the Living Vampire is hungry and hasn't eaten in a while. And his bloodlust gets the better of him, and he just bites this alien motherfucker, just sinks his teeth into the golden, glorious god Starseed, and starts drinking and gnawing. What? I'm hungry. He's got a bloodlust, man. He can't do anything about it. Wow. And then Jack... The werewolf by night sees the blood and he loses control. Blood! And he dives in there as well. And he starts fighting with Morbius over who's going to drink the blood and kill Starseed. Ghost Rider, his head's on fire, but he's the calm one. And he's like, dudes, what are you... Why are you doing this? This is essentially Jesus from outer space. And he starts grabbing like the, the werewolf and the, 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 the uh, Morbius trying to pull them off. Um, and Starseed, meanwhile, this creature has never felt pain before. Oh, God. And so he becomes terrified, scared, 
he feels fear. Which means here comes the man thing, and the man thing just burns Space Jesus to death because he's afraid. This guy has done nothing wrong. Who the he came here to save humanity, but unfortunately, he drew these awful Marvel monsters to him, none of which can, only Ghost Rider can control himself. And Man Thing burns this guy to death. And in his final words, he basically says, uh, Joke's on you, suckers, because I had the power to remove all of your monster curses and make you human again. And then he dies. And Man Thing just walks back to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell, that is awful. Yeah, Starcy, perfectly innocent, essentially cosmic space Jesus. Man thing kills him because he was afraid. Because he, admittedly, he was afraid because a vampire and a werewolf were trying to kill him. And one dude's head was on fire. <laughs> one dude's head was on fire. <laughs> okay, back to the film. That night, the coroner autopsies the old sheriff and finds a bullet. He tries to tell Williams, but he is back at the swamp, unreachable. He tells Terry, and she goes to the swamp to tell Williams. Meanwhile, Plug had returned to the swamp trying to get a picture of the monster. Instead, he startles Schist, who was in the swamp, to murder Laroque. Schist shoots and kills Plug. Soon afterward, Laroque ambushes and defeats Schist's son and minion Jake. Williams finds Plug's corpse and reasons that Schist murdered Plug. He then meets Richards, who tells him about the autopsy. Williams concludes that Schist is guilty of several murders, trying to incriminate Laroque simply to avoid punishment. According to Schiff's confession to LaRocque, he murdered Salis and buried him in dark waters. Also, so I, I'm just guessing that radios don't work in the swamp. Why? Because he's unreachable. <clears throat> oh, was he? Yeah, he was oh, unreachable. Okay. Like, he... Maybe he turned his radio off. <laughs> okay. He was working with a detonator. And do you remember there's a whole thing about detonators and oh. sort of phone tech that can set them off? But there wasn't a line of dialogue to explain that. Yeah. So I, don't, I don't know. See, that would have Maybe you just sense. turned it off. Yeah. Or ran out of batteries or something. Yeah. But again, you need maybe you need a line of dialogue or a little uh, little a little something to kind of say why he's unreachable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So is that anything like what happens to Ted Sellis in the comic books? No, not in the slightest. He's not Native American. Um, he's not a shaman. Mm. He's a scientist. Um, and he's working on a... In the original... In the original kind of story. The original story is all in black and white. Okay. And it's actually really cool the way it's drawn. Because Man-Thing in, in black and white, the way it's done looks like all those blurry black and white photographs of like Bigfoot. Yeah. You know? Or and it, it's so it's so cool. It looks like um like an urban myth. Not urban myth, but like a modern a modern day yeah. myth out in the Everglades. There's this thing. Every every panel of man thing really does look um, like one of those grainy black and white pictures. So it adds almost a, a realism to it. Although it isn't, you know, meant to be anywhere near real. It's a big sci-fi story. So he's Ted Salas um, and his and his uh, wife or girlfriend are uh, working in his lab, and and she's like, "Come on, honey, take why don't you take me out and spoil me?" And he's like, "I've got to get this done for the government." And he's <laughs> developing a serum. And uh, originally, you know, it's alluded to that it's a serum to make like the 
like great soldiers, perfect soldiers, yeah. you know, to make people kill more. And he's had this kind of existential question about, I do all this great work and all it does is just kill people and I don't feel good about that. Later on, future stories will will, will kind of, not necessarily retcon because it's Marvel, but they will introduce this idea that actually what he's working on is the latest version of the super soldier serum. Yeah, of course. Um, and that, that it's tied all the way back to, to, to Captain America and things. He's been his his government contact has gone flaky, and he's heard that there are spies that are going to come and get him, mm. um, and they do. Uh, to begin with, it's just spies. Later on, it's meant to be aim. Ah, the advanced idea yes. of mechanics, the beekeeper dudes, the Modoc dudes, and he's like gets his wife, and we have got to get out of here. And he's like he burns his notes, like no one else can get hold of the notes, and. The serum is in my mind, so I can recreate it. That's not a problem. I've got one copy of the serum. I've got it with me. I need to make sure we don't get uh, attacked. And um, just when he thinks he's safe, his wife slash girlfriend reveals that she is the spy. Ooh. Um, and she has these guys with him, and they're going to yeah. kill him, and he runs. He, he attacks, fights them off, runs, and he's like, I, I've got to get... I've got to keep the serum, but they can't have it. So he injects himself with this experimental serum. And then his car goes off a cliff and crashes into the swamp where something happens. In Man Thing issue one, which is later on in his, you know, we go over the origin again when when he gets, when Steve Gerber gets to do his own issue which it's explained then that the, the swamp is this nexus of all reality so mm. there's all this mystical energy and force um that kind of transforms and turns him into man thing um and essentially ted salas is dead that there is some element of consciousness absorbed by the the plant and animal life of the swamp and so it it, it it contains some memories. Okay, it's like a, um, it's a, fra- a fracture of Ted Salas. Yeah, again, a little bit like Robocop. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Very much like Swamp Thing. He, in the early days, retains enough of his memories to go after the people that attacked him, the, 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 the spies, and finds his wife who was betrayed him. And the first person he burns is his wife. He mm. puts his big acid-covered man-thing hand on her face and just burns half her face into this horrifying, sizzling scar of, you know, scar tissue and melted flesh. Yeah. Um, And then when he's done that, he wanders off into the the swamp. Not into the sunset. No. No, no. So, yeah, uh, very different. Very different kind of origin. Although there's the mix... There's no, there's no um, spies. There's no government agency. There's no scientist in the movie. There's no working on a on a secret serum or formula or anything. That's all kind of gone. Um, it's just this um, shot a man, threw him in the swamp. <laughs> Fair play. So we're at some... yeah, it, it has kind of crow elements to it. I, I yeah, that, that's what I say. Yeah, it, it's it does it does feel a bit like the crow. That sort of yeah. the sort of pseudo mystical guy dies, guy comes back as a different thing because woo spirit of vengeance yeah, and all that spirit of vengeance. So we're up to the last bit of the film now. 
Terry reveals that she can guide Williams to LaRock's lair, but the Man-Thing starts chasing them. He chases them to the drilling tower at Dark Waters. In the tower, Schist is levelling his weapon at LaRock in an attempt to prevent LaRock from blowing things up with the dynamite. LaRock nonetheless tries to detonate his bomb and is shot and wounded by Schist. Schist then wounds Williams. However, the Man-Thing arrives and brutally murders Schist by filling his body with oil. The man thing then. Well, he 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 stabs his like tentacles into him. Yeah. Stabs all the tentacles into the oil and literally pumps his body, yeah. his blood and organs full of Ugh. full of oil. The, for an ironic murder. Ironic murder. There we go. The man thing then moves towards Williams and Terry. The Rock sacrifices himself, distracting the monster and detonating his explosives. A huge fire explosion consumes the swamp and the man-thing. The monster survives the flames, but then is absorbed back to the land. So, would an explosion like that hurt man-thing in the comic books? No, uh, no, not at all. Um, he, 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 physical attacks do 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 nothing to him. He's not solid. He's not. He doesn't have like a. He doesn't necessarily have a body. His form is like vegetable matter and stuff <laughs> um the hulk is completely incapable of of, of destroying him you okay. know he, he's punched punched holes in him but doesn't do anything yeah you can't you can't tear his head off he doesn't have a head like he has a head but it's not where he's, he doesn't have a brain it, in it. there's it, no it's heart not, there's no it's not a centralized organs. system it's just it's just a, a yeah a bunch of matter yeah and he's capable of regenerating that that form from other plant and vegetable matter, um, and he's you know he's been right to the point of absolute death. Well, he's right to the point of his entire body being de- destroyed, but he can still like send out tendrils, find some more vegetation, and regenerate. Um, he was sliced completely in half once; that did nothing, <laughs> and burnt by a bomb. He was incinerated by. The Celestials, like you'll see them in the Eternals movie. The Celestials are like beyond Galactus. <laughs> they are the most ancient, powerful, oldest creatures in the, in the in the galaxy, and they they incinerated Man Thing, and he's back. <laughs> not not much of an issue for for Man Thing. He he. He in the early stories there were they they did give him specifically some weaknesses. Yeah. Um the like if if he was exposed to he he could be heavily damaged by clean water. <laughs> I don't quite know why. Yeah. Um but clean water sapped his his power and washed away the I guess it was washing away the swampiness. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's so tied to um his swamp that if he leaves the um when we talk his swamp, so the Everglades is like over a million square miles. It's not like a small swamp area. His territory is huge. It's massive. A million square miles. Over a million square miles is the the Everglades is. It's massive. I don't think there's a million um, square miles on the planet. Do you mean a million square meters? Maybe that one then. Yeah, I was about to um, say. I don't, yeah, I'm sure it was miles. Okay. Yeah, I think that's bigger than the Earth. <laughs> Maybe that then. Um, 
I've, I've never it's because I've never heard of square oh yeah square feet yeah there you go yeah. Um, yeah. that's the uh, that's the old my uh, Discalculator plays hell with any any type of measurement no, whatsoever. I was just imagining it's not the a million numbers, square miles. It's just the. I have no reference for it whatsoever. It's bigger than the planet. Anyway, the Everglades is huge and it consumes mass mass regions. So it's not like a very small like swamp. And if he leaves, there's a problem. But if he leaves his swamp for enough period of time, then he will essentially just go inert and dormant mm. he won't die he just he just stops kind of having that connection um, but there's no reason for it to do that he will he will kind of wander back to but those are really the only weaknesses I don't think there's anything else that could I don't think it's possible to kill him okay let's put it that way what about Schist what happens to him in the original stories uh, he becomes a purple ogre okay <laughs> um, <laughs> bloody hell so Man Thing destroys a Schist construction site, tears everything down, no airport here. Um, and Schist c- keeps coming back and clashing with him again and again. And he hires a, a scientist to try and help him work out how to kill the the the, the Man Thing with like sonic weapons and, and deadly inventions and stuff, but none of that works. Um Schist becomes a target of the fool killer. <laughs> yes, yes, he did the voice as well. Uh, check out Obscure Marvel yeah. for more the on the man who kills fools. Um, oh, but, it turns, but, oh yes, it, 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 I, I actually found out which 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 uh, Marvel TV series he's in as as well. He was in um, Daredevil, wasn't he? Yes, the Netflix. Yeah, series. I remember the scene. I remember the scene perfectly. And it yeah, was, it's, but it's kind of not quite. The, it's you know, it's just the, the guy's name. Guy's name. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, because of just a vigilante. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Man Thing actually saves him from the Fool Killer, but that doesn't like change Schist's opinion of Man Thing. He's like, I still hate you. He becomes a problem for Man Thing because after several encounters, Schist no longer fears. Man Thing, so he's kind of impervious to being burned or killed. Yeah, because Man Thing won't go towards him and burn him and kill him because Shist does not fear him. Okay. Um, so he's kind of there's a loophole there yeah. in Man Man Thing's whole nature. And then Shist finds the location of the Fountain of Youth, which is in the Everglades. Of course. And it's in, in, in one of the many million square miles of the Everglades, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, th- to be fair, if it's a million square miles, it's definitely going to be there somewhere, isn't You're it? You're going to find Atlantis um, there too, probably. Who knows? I'm pretty glad to discover that I live in the Everglades. I've always <laughs> wanted to go somewhere exotic. It encompasses and it turns out most of I've the, lived there my whole life. It encompasses most of the Midlands. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, 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 within, within Man Thing's Big Swamp, there's a colony of ageless beings who have this 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 land this this home called La Hacienda, yeah, and it was founded by ancient, withered, ugly, purple, prune-looking creatures called the Fathers. Okay, and they control the Fountain of Youth, and that's why they've been alive forever. Schist is like, hey guys, I got this plan. Uh, give me some of that water. I'll live forever, and then I'm gonna start selling and marketing the Fountain of Youth water 
and will all become stinking rich. Hmm. And the fathers are like, this sounds like a good idea. And they say, why don't you take this bottle here in good faith and drink from it? And Schist drinks from the water and it transforms him into this withered, horrible purple creature, just like the fathers. And they're like, ha 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 ha. That's what happens when you drink it. You're not meant to drink it, you're meant to bathe in it. Oh. That's for being greedy. <laughs> That's what happened to us. I don't quite know what the connection is between drinking the water and greed, but there you go. If you bathe in the water, you live forever, beautiful and young and perfect. Mm. If you drink it, it turns you into a living prune monster. Um, Schist is now terrified of what has happened to his body, Mm. terrified of the fact he's now become an inhuman monster like the man thing. He's finally afraid again, which means out comes good old Manny, Whap! Touches him, burns him to death. That was Marvel's only horror movie uh, on the Halloween edition of Marvel vs. Marvel. That was Man Thing full of blood and guts and and some boobs. Uh, Will, final thoughts on this movie? Um... Yeah, Cody, 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 Cody. Um, ah, got it right when he said it's a bit of a meh movie. It's a meh movie. I mean, it, there's the, some of it's quite intriguing. Some of it's quite good for its time. But very, when I say some, I mean very little. Um, and the rest of it is just very... It's, oh, it, it's almost embarrassing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the word I'm thinking. I, I, I think um, it's really, really something to see a Marvel movie that has all of this stuff in. I think that's really... We can't downplay how big that is. Yeah. We'll never, we're probably never going to get that ever again. No. Never, ever. never. They'll never do anything like this. Some people have said, oh, wasn't Blade the... Uh, nah, Blade's not, not really a horror, horror movie. It's a supernatural action movie. This is a proper full-on... There's a monster, and it's murdering people and killing people, and there's blood and all that kind of stuff, and guts and... Yeah, um, I but I I don't know. It's a it's something to put on. It's quite distracting. It, it informs our journey. It it's quite distracting. Quite, it is. Yeah, it informs our journey an awful lot to see what would the what would Marvel have been like if this artisan deal had continued. If artisan hadn't have gone out of business. Mm. If they had continued to have access to all those characters. If we'd got an, a cheap 30... Imagine if we got a $30 million Captain America movie. Or if we get Kevin Sorbo as Thor in the Legendary Adventures of Thor. Well, haven't we talked about that Captain America movie that did get made? Yeah, but I mean, in a modern, in a modern time. Yeah. Like, in, in, instead of getting Captain America, instead of getting the MCU, we get a $30 million movie in 2008. We get... You know, a thirty, forty million dollar Black Panther movie oh, in, in two thousand ten. No. Think of think of how differently everything could have gone, and I think that's the real appeal of of checking out. You know, this little slice of Marvel uh, Marvel history. What will was your favorite? Um, speaking of slices, your favorite mm-hmm. slice of trivia um, f- 
that you've learned from me in this episode? I don't know. Burning Space Jesus was quite bizarre. Because <laughs> the, whole, the, the whole, whole of it is like, oh, they started drinking his blood and Ghost Rider, the man with his head on fire, is keeping cool. Going, ah, don't do that. Then man things like, what's this? Panic. Ah, burn. Burn, saviour. <laughs> What's cool is that, like, the front cover, yeah. it's, sell- it's sold to you as the legion of monsters and all those cool horror monsters are there. And you think, oh, they're going to team up and be like the monster Avengers. I'm going to buy this comic. And then when you get into it, it's just, no. <laughs> they accidentally all go to the same place at the same time and kill someone. <laughs> and then they all go home. Fantastic. Sounds like every Quentin Tarantino film ever. <laughs> <laughs> reading list for our halloween themed episode is to go and check out steve gerber's man thing um uh, they did a, a special collection i think just after he passed away um and it collected all of steve gerber's man thing stories you can also get um you can get like i think you can get the full story there's essential man thing as a collection which is um lower quality in terms of the paper but it's much cheaper, and I think it includes the origin, the very original stuff. I'm not sure you need to read some of the very original stuff. I think Gerber's Man-Thing is the perfect Man-Thing. Um, there are further adventures that Man-Thing has where they change the character a bit, and he teams up with um, a, a team called the Thunderbolts and stuff quite recently. But that all happened after this movie came out. So, I don't know, you can check it out if you want mm. to. But Steve Gerber's Man-Thing, I think, is the... Is the key thing, and that's got like the original appearance of How the Duck and stuff, and the Man Thing kind of becoming the guy that's going to save the universe or the multiverse. Next episode will strap in because we're doing it. We return to what is arguably the greatest Marvel story of all time. We return to finish off the X Men epic and begin. Our two-part exploration of the Dark Phoenix Saga. We gave you the beginning, the two-parter on the beginning. The Phoenix Saga. The start of Jean Grey's transformation into this incredible, powerful being. Um, The Phoenix. Well, the X-Men animated series is the first adaptation and the most faithful adaptation of this story. And they cover what happens next, which is... The Fall of Jean Grey, The Dark Phoenix Saga. We will be uh, digging back into that with two big episodes and digging into the the, the, the animated series itself and the, the, the classic, classic 70s um, comic books that then inspired two terrible movies. But we're doing it the proper way. So the animated series, we'll be doing it, covering it all, covering it in depth. So make sure... That you are here for that and tell your friends who are X-Men fans that we're doing it correct and proper. Don't forget to check out patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel for our bonus, bonus, bonus episodes, which this month include the mega, mega episode over two hours on Spider-Verse. Thank you for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, subscribe. And hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel movies, TV shows, and comic books? Don't forget to join us next time as we head back to the X-Men with the Dark Phoenix Saga. Saga.